Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast from the Savage Critics website. Just in time for Valentine's Day, we have the pungent bouquet that is episode 115, just for you, our lovely listener. In a little over two hours and ten minutes, Graham McMillan and I talk Young Romance, the new 52 Valentine's Day special, Batman Odyssey by Neil Adams, Sylvester Stallone and Walter Hill, Secret Sideburns, the Marvel Jack Kirby Captain America Omnibus, Green Arrow, Superman the Unauthorized Biography, OMAC, the Red Hulk's Mustache, and the proverbial much, much more. Skip Week follows this one, so make sure to come back in two weeks for another brain-busting episode, and remember... Show notes are available at the Savage Critic website. And, as always, we hope you enjoy. And thanks for listening. Hi. <laughs> Graham McMillan is Lonnie Anderson in... <laughs> I just like... I, for some reason, I was going to say something else, then I heard you just go... And I was like, I have to just put him at rest. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. I never quite know when this thing is going to pick up. It, it's weird, you know, I um, I just FaceTimed somebody earlier today, and I don't know, do you, have you ever used the FaceTime invention around? Yes, I have. I used the FaceTime invention with my sisters this weekend, uh, transatlantically, and it's fair to say, very few things were as frustrating as trying to use FaceTime. <laughs> well, yeah, that does seem a little far. I have not tried it uh, in but having used it um, quasi-locally, I think it generally works okay as long as people are close enough to their respective Wi-Fi connections. But oddly enough, every time I make a FaceTime call, you are staring at your own face as it's connecting. Mm-hmm. And I weirdly start making faces at myself, you know? And yet, I'm also aware that I don't want the person picking up the other line did the first thing that they're going to see is me like, you know, contorting my face and open flaring my nostrils and what have you. And yet I can't not do it. And so there's this weird anxiety of like, okay, I gotta, I, I can't stop, but I, I need to stop right now, right now, right now. Okay. Right now, right now. And it's, um, it's a and then you don't, and then I don't. Yeah, exactly. That being said, as far as I know, I think I've only stopped before. I certainly stop before the person, before I see the picture of the person that I'm speaking to. And most of them are not doing the, what the fuck is wrong with your face? So I'm assuming yeah, that I've like, stopped yeah. time. <laughs> oh my God, you're having a stroke. Like, like, should I call someone? <laughs> and you're like, I should FaceTime someone. Hi, Apple. Bing. <laughs> I'm having a heart attack. So, um... Oh, Jeff, how are you doing? <clears throat> weird day. Weird day, weird week. I guarantee this is going to be a weird conversation. And yourself? <coughs> uh, pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Well, exciting. I have something to tell you, though. <laughs> yes? Is this something you can tell me on air, is it for? Yes! Because I'm going to tell you about a press release that has been mailed to me just about 10 minutes ago that everyone will have seen by the time this goes live, but you will not have heard of, and I have to read it to you because I want your reaction. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. New York, February 7th, 2013. Hyperion Books and Marvel Entertainment today announced plans to partner. Are you excited? Is is this the one about the books about Rogue and... Yes! um... Oh, it's out there already? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Rogue and, and Red She-Hulk, right? No, no, no. I, I... It's regular She-Hulk. The, oh. this, is, this is the part where I knew that it was going to be genius. 
She-Hulk, Marvel's much-beloved comic book heroine, who shares her cousin Bruce Banner's ability to transform into a hero of incredible power, comes to life in a page-turning novel. In The She-Hulk Diaries, (laughs) Oh, I'm not done, Jeff. In The She-Hulk Diaries, Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk, juggles climbing the corporate ladder by day and battling villains and saving the world by night, all while trying to navigate the dating world to find a Mr. Right who might not mind a sometimes very big and green girlfriend. It's great. Let's face it, it's great. Isn't it? I mean, let's... I have to rein it in. Technically, it will be terrible. But technically... It should be great. It will be terrible, but it should be great. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so here's my thing. I found this, found out about this because Ragnell uh, on Twitter tweeted about it. And she had a link to her Tumblr entry. And she had a few comments on her Twitter that weren't on the Tumblr entry, which was basically like, this makes, this is probably a much better way to reach female readers than actually publishing these characters as comic book characters. And you know what? I'm not inclined to disagree. I mean... I th- I think if you're looking to reach female readers, going novels, great idea. Doing these novels? Holy mother... I mean, could that sound more generic? Well... Actually, can. Here's the definition, or rather synopsis, of Rogue Touch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The second novel, Rogue Touch, features one of the most popular X-Men characters, Rogue a young woman trying to navigate the challenges of everyday life and romance, except that her touch is deadly. <laughs> After accidentally putting her first boyfriend in a coma, she runs away from home where she meets the handsome and otherworldly James and sparks fly. Like Luke, however, James's life is hardly simple. To elude his mysterious and dangerous family, James shaves his head, dons all black, stealing a car they head out on the highway and eventually Rogue has to decide whether she will unleash her devastating powers in order to save the only man alive who seems to truly understand her. Okay, Graham, I have yeah. to say, you've made a compelling case. The, the press releases are written not unlike press releases. Uh, I, But, you know, okay, so that does sound absolutely horrible in just about every particular, but... And yet, still, there's part of me that's like, but but I want to be hopeful. I want to think that these things could be a good idea. They just probably won't be, you know. Also, the covers of the books? Yes. Spectacular. Well, I only saw the one for Rogue Touch, where I was like, really? That's where they're going for that one. The Hulk one is so much better. Really? Against a bright purple background, it is uh, a green lipstick. Ah, there we go. There we go. Uh, okay, so all right. Well, let's let's turn this around. Let's 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 make some lemonade out of these lemons. Graham, why don't you tell me, a, how do you think they should do it, or b, which characters would you rather see them do it for? I think She-Hulk is actually a great choice. Actually, I think Rogue's a great choice. I mm-hmm. think they're really good choice of characters. I just feel that they're going, they're trying to fit the characters into predetermined stereotypes and storylines mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to do something that speaks to the, those particular characters' individual appeal. Yeah, okay. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sort of half on board with you, half not, because I think actually, with the exception, you know, I mean, Rogue's appeal is kind of the, she can't, she can't touch anyone she wants romance and she's attracted 
to bad boys. I mean, that's pretty close to the core of the character, right? I mean, they invent a bunch of other shit, you know, presumably. I, well, I have, because it sounds like they've basically slotted Rogue into Twilight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I just... I don't know, because I, I'm normally not the person uh, who's like, well, it has to fit with comic book continuity. But part of me is like, why invent James when you could theoretically just be like, well, it's Gambit. Well, good question. I mean, I'm assuming that the problem is, of course, the very, very limited nature of the licensing, you know, of these characters. But but I could be wrong. I mean, I would prefer that we're Gambit as opposed to James, because James actually sounds really lame in that way that, like, stuff that's like comic books but not comic books is lame, you know? It's very generic. He sounds mm-hmm. very much like, you know, his name is James, he's mysterious and a bad boy. Mm-hmm. He has been past. Right. You know, and it's just like, oh, but you have one of those. Right. right you know, right. Why, why aren't you using him? I, I don't know. I mean... I also, again, I'm, I'm, I never quite understand how intercompany licensing works. Hearing mm-hmm. is a Disney subsidiary, right? Marvel, right? So in theory, it doesn't really matter um, that they, you know, if they're using Rogue, in theory, they should be able to use any and all of the rest of the X Men. Sure, unless unless it's one of those weird situations where they are in fact sub-licensing Rogue back from Fox specifically for the book. No, because Fox doesn't have publishing rights to the X-Men. Otherwise, Marvel wouldn't be able to do the comic. Well, but the comic might be different from other... Like, they, like the book rights might be different from the comic book rights. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you I don't do... Marvel, I don't think Marvel would have surrendered publishing rights at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I mean, on the one hand, I totally agree with you, but I would say that apart from your own domain, which is, you know, your realm, usually the movie rights people try to get all the other rights. Now, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, of course, I'm sure that, you know, I would think that back when those deals were made, all Marvel cared about were, you know, the toy rights and being able to have their comic book rights. And then they probably saw some kind of fee. But again, I'm talking on my ass. Who knows? You might absolutely be right. You, it, as you put it, there's, there's, you know, who knows what the pressing reasons are for them to be, you know, for the, not to be Gambit, other than I suspect someone s- said no for a specific reason. You know what I mean? It's also the possibility that James might be Gambit. Sure. I mean, like, they might have just been like, Gambit is a stupid name, especially when we've already got a character called Rogue. How many, like, how many names right. can we have right. that are not actually names? Right. Maybe we'll just call him James. I, you know, I don't know. The stories, the books just sound very... Super generic. Yeah. yeah. Which which seems like a shame. And it's funny because the She-Hulk one even sounds like the dance lot She-Hulk series. Exactly. Exactly. That's where but... I was kind of like, does it sound... Because they sound close enough to me in that regard. I don't know. I just there's something about it. They just they just sound. They just sound like they've tried to plug the characters into predetermined narrative. I guess. Well, yeah. I'm like, welcome to modern genre publishing, my exactly. friend. <laughs> welcome to the real world. Yeah, I mean, although it's interesting, I think it's actually a good point. I, I you know, if I was if I was being smarter about this, I would, you know you and I could spitball the idea that the closer that the movies get to having 
the density of the comic books, the more successful they are. Like, and there's like a need, I suppose, in order to make the transition to successful transition to other media to actually include that amount of density, you know, that that is an attractiveness that that's inherently attractive. Like people, you know, are people like big mythologies. They're, they're much more comfortable with it now than they were, than, than at least the big media companies perceived them as being 30 or 40 years ago. Okay. So here's something that's not like related to what you just said, but not related to the Marvel news. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a thing for Wire today, and I have no idea if it's going up. Um, kind of arguing that the current plan for Star Wars, mm-hmm. Disney's current plan for Star Wars, is relying on that too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the fact that they're going to do the new trilogy and additional spin-off films right. to come out simultaneously that are prequels mm-hmm. is a bad idea, because it's too much. And it's too much in different directions. Hmm. That I, Marvel films worked because you can pretend they're all one big story. Right. You know, it's the Avengers story, and here's different segments of it. But I think as soon as you're like, okay, here's what happens after Turn of the Jedi, and here's what happened before Star Wars, mm-hmm. the, I, th- I think the audience is going to be like, so, okay, so there's the continuation, and then there's this other thing. Right. Because I don't, th- I think the, I think if you're not following a story forward, mm-hmm. like if you're, like and I, and I also want to know what happened in the back, and I want to know what happened in between. I think that's a much more niche audience you're playing to. Right, 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 right. And so I think the 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 idea of like you know it's a mythology and people like complicated mythologies, right? I'm not sure that actually holds. I think people like complicated mythologies going forward. Yeah, I would say that they like it like generally in one direction with a degree of backstory, with a lot of backstory, in fact, but. But yeah, when you start slicing up the pie too many places, I mean, honestly, the Star Wars thing, um, I, I think you make a really good point, although weirdly, <coughs> and I could be wrong, I don't feel like it's quite the same point. The weird thing to about the Disney stuff to me is, is that it seems weirdly desperate, I mean, in, in this very odd way that that I don't, that I, it's like, I'm not sure if they're trying to like ride this on top of like it's a press cycle thing, but like the idea that you're, they're actually doing like that many movies somehow really cheapens it. Like, why are you yeah, going to take something that is an event and essentially turn it into like that many events? You know what I mean? Like, they, it makes that, each one smaller. That's so funny. That was actually the starting point of this when I was talking about it with Lara. Mm-hmm. That the idea is when you, because, if the rumors are all true, mm-hmm. okay, if we are having three, like a new trilogy and a spin-off film for Han Solo and for Boba Fett and for Yoda mm-hmm. in the next six years, like in a six-year span, mm-hmm. Disney will have put out as many Star Wars films in six years as Lucasfilm did in 28 years. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which, is, which really does cheapen it. Mm-hmm. Completely. Whereas, Com- you know... It's- Event and it's an event not only because there's so few of them, because mm-hmm. they came out in trilogies and you knew where you were and it was a finite story. Do you know what I mean? I'm at the beginning of the story. There's two more films. I'm in the middle of the story. This is an exciting one. I'm at the end of the story. I can see how it ends. As opposed to we're going to keep cranking these out on an annual basis until you drop dead. Well, okay, but and this you would know this better than I do. There is a certain argument to be made for Star Wars that they were able to succeed in 
different media in different timelines at the same time. Sure, but I think I think that's more for that's kind of what I was saying about the niche audience. I think that's for I don't think the general public non nerd audience mm-hmm. can sustain that or wants that. But what do you mean by the see? I mean this is this is I guess this is what I'm talking about is is that I. Because I would say that the success of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, the animated series, is very much a non-niche nerd audience. It's big, you know. Sure, but it's getting smaller every single year. Yeah, sure. I mean, that that is true, but... Here's into it. The audience is halved. Mm -hmm. If not halved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but over a, a pretty long period of time, relatively. You know, I mean, I'm not. I, that is that is actually a really good point. I just, but part of me is like, but are they losing the niche people? Are they losing the generalists? You know, the I regular think audience. Losing the generalists. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I don't know. I just think that the idea of of I think Star Wars succeeded and is so popular for two reasons. Mm-hmm. I think it really popular now as a nostalgia thing. Yes. And not as an ongoing property. Right. And two, even when it was an ongoing property, it was exciting because it wasn't ongoing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, even the prequels, you're like, there's three of them. It's leading up to the specific point. Sure. Kind of. I mean, yeah. I, no, no, I, no. I, I just feel that, like, looking at Star Wars as this ongoing cash cow is misunderstanding the amount of interest people have in Star Wars. I think we will see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. My person, I you're probably right. I personally think that they're sort of like it's a little bit like before Watchmen. Sadly, they're like, how? What is the best way that we're going to get the maximum return on this? Well, I I think that's exactly right. So I I think it is. I think it's let's put out as many movies as we can. Mm -hmm. Sop up as much money as we can in the movies in this very short period of time, because let's face it, statistically, it's going to be likely that most people will be displeased. Um, and then, having soaked all that up, we'll really go to town with why we bought this property, which is, you know, having Boba Fett's ride at California Adventure. I don't know. You which, know. ironically, they already had. True. Right. <laughs> they already had starters. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, they did, but they. Wa- I think they wanted more, and of course they wanted more control over it, too. You know? I mean, as you pointed out, they do they do already have like the little Darth Vader, you know, the on stage stuff with the Jedi Knight and the build your own lightsaber stuff. I think they were just like this they're just aware that have more of this? Right, exactly. This is a license to print money and it drives us crazy that we have to cut cut back forty percent of this pile of money back to Lucas. And you saw that thing that, like, Lucas is basically like, hey, who wants two billion shares of Disney or whatever, two billion dollars worth of Disney stock, right? Although, it has to be said, that's completely unconfirmed, and everyone has denied it so far. Oh, really? Everyone has denied it now. Like, you've had a spokesman for Lucas denying it, you've had Lucasfilm denying it, and you've had Disney denying it. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, maybe maybe that's just a rumor, but boy, that's yeah, a just that, yeah, rumor. That, that was really, really, really quickly. Mm-hmm like really quickly walked back <laughs> it was something stupid it was like within maybe an hour of it coming out uh-huh. 
multiple denials out there, which is the kind of thing that makes you think it's probably got a basis in truth. Right, exactly. When it's that <laughs> firm, everyone's like, okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's, yeah. If they're, as opposed to not taking the time to respond. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, this isn't good. Okay. Um, What's well, not, Jeff? Should we call back? No, no, no. Fine. Just, I'm getting a call from one of my brothers, and I'll, I'll tell you more about it when we're offline. But Graham, before I get there, I think it's important uh, since you brought it up, I want to talk about something that is equally as important as Star Wars. Which is... Is there anything as equally important as Star Wars? Abs- absolutely. The twin legacies of Sylvester Stallone and Walter Hill. I think it's very important that you and I take a little bit of time to address the press hyperbole surrounding the recent movie Bullet to the Head starring Sylvester Stallone directed by Walter Hill I, I'd like you to do that I have to admit I know nothing about it other, uh, apart from seeing Sylvester Stallone's hilarious comment about assault weapons the other day what did he say oh he he's all for banning assault weapons oh is he uh, yeah no he really is and he apparently they were asked you know but what about people defending themselves? And he said, why would you need an assault weapon to defend yourself? So who do you think is going to attack your house? A fucking army? Wow. Good for, good I, s- I just love the idea of him saying that. Good uh, for S- Sylvester Stallone, I have to say. Okay. Yeah, he was. He went all out and said, you know, you can't hunt with it. It's a, it's a stupid gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, please, continue. Well... So this is not exactly going to be the cup of tea, something that I feel you're particularly emotionally invested in, Graham. But for myself, there's been an amount of publicity rolling forward about Bullet to the Head, the undoubtedly not very good movie starring Sylvester Stallone, directed by Walter Hill. And the the way that it's sort of being reported in the press or the way that I see it covered, especially at places like the AV Club, um, Onions AV Club, is something along the lines of it's amazing that these two titans never joined up and met before. Um, it's kind of a shame that they sort of couldn't get together earlier when they were both like in their you know greatest era period, you know, and something along the lines of sort of they're both kind of respective giants in the field that made part of what made the '80s action film great. I'm going to actually say that the thing that helped destroy the 80s action movie industry in America is precisely Sylvester Stallone and to a certain extent Walter Hill. Walter Hill who directed amazing movies in the 70s and then basically uh, did 48 Hours which I think was kind of his sort of swan song in terms of making a movie that was successful in a traditional Hollywood way and also somewhat close to interesting. I mean, it is interesting, but I, I'm i just very worried that there is kind of a historic revision process going on, which is basically that the 80s action movies uh, in of the United States were awesome. And as someone who lived through that era and went to a lot of movies, I have to say, by and large, they sucked. But isn't that what pop culture does? Yes. And well, that, 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 that is what... Yes, but Graham, you have to... This is what angry old men do. Is <laughs> They yell about it 
on the phone to their friends and post tirades on the internet. You know, it's traditional that young, smart, sexy individuals turn around and in, in, in the best case scenario, they take something that had been forgotten uh, or dismissed and resurface it and show it, hold it up to people and it's like, hey, this is fantastic. And I certainly have benefited from the people who've taken the time to rediscover, you know, Seiyun Suzuki or uh, the, you know, late period noir films in the 50s of like uh, Anthony Mann, you know, like it, there's amazing stuff that I'm incredibly indebted to. This is why I feel that, for example, Sylvester Stallone's Cobra and Walter Hill's Streets of Fire are not that and should be excluded from that, you know? In fact, when I was thinking about this, and I swear to God, Graham, this is sad. When I was thinking about this, driving in a car by myself with my lips all but moving angrily as I drove, (laughs) there was a huge obsession with me of like, no, there's like four dudes that made the 80s action film in America at all palatable and maybe five and those dudes are like James Cameron Shane Black uh, uh, John McTiernan um, uh, Lawrence Silver uh, and then there's like pretty much one other uh, guy who I whose name is eluding me at the moment um, so maybe it's just four but like you know Part of what we remember is awesome about Rocky, uh, Rocky about Rambo, is the is helps a lot that Jim Cameron was involved in the movie Rambo, um, and that left to his own devices, Stallone was kind of, you know, a lazy, slobby man whore, essentially. Uh, so I want it kind of addressed because oh, and that Walter Hill, while saying like you know, that he can't really direct comic book movies because that's not where his head is at is frustrating because there is no more stinkier comic book movie without an actual comic book than Streets of Fire, which Walter Hill appeared to be, you know, perhaps I mistakenly understood the the, the length and breadth to which um, uh, Hill was supposedly, like, this was his, like, master vision um, and really, it was just an attempt to make a lot of money and boondoggle MTV into promoting the movie. At least the second part actually happened. Uh, Streets of Fire was an uh, an awful movie, and awful in all the ways that Walter Hill insists that he cannot be and was not. And although Hill is, in his early lean days, was is quite a... a decent, you know, fantastic action director who ripped off a lot of stuff from uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, the French director who did, like, Le Samurai and and Le Cercle Rouge and stuff. I, You know, it's like, I gotta give Hill some props, but the fact of the matter is, is that there's a reason why the Jackie Chan and the um, Hong Kong and John Woo's The Killer and any and a huge vast array of Hong Kong action films stole the hearts of me and a lot of people precisely in the late 80s and it was because action films American action films had become awful you know they were at that point had collapsed in on themselves and we actually needed to go outside Hollywood and get good movies you know 
good movies where it's just people punching one another. It's not even a rocket science, you know, but literally movies where people get kicked in interesting and thoughtful ways for reasons that generally are easy to convey. You know, it's it's should not be that hard. Um, I have to say, at the end of that, it kind of turned into something awesome. <laughs> movies where people get kicked and punched in thoughtful ways and it's kind of like there there's a a problem in America that we do not have these movies please give give generously give generously and we may be able it to is true. rebuild well you know let's face it the the fact of the matter is is that the America that we have now has the methadrone of video games so for the most part it's not nearly as dire as it is for young men in their 20s back in the 80s, but it's someone who suffered through that. For people who actually sat there and were like, sweet Jesus, this Stallone movie is absolutely fucking boring, and there is no reason why any of this is happening, and now he's just going to say, like, a line and shoot a gun. It's... You you need, you really do. Like, when I saw Jackie Chan's police story, man, that movie is a little slice of heaven like it is it is a little bit of like thank you I've been saved you know and I just I'm a little bit worried on the one hand I'm all for people turning around and being like hey remember Don McGregor he was awesome like hey remember Steve Gerber he was fantastic I'm a little less down when people are kind of like hey Remember Marv Wolfman when Keith Pollard's like drawn Fantastic Four and it's post issue two hundred? Hey, you really? know what I mean? Like, but it's not. Is that not just? I think at that point, Jeff, you're kind of getting into snobbery. Uh, but are are you not? Are you not getting into? I'm completely down with nostalgia when nostalgia is about things I'm nostalgic about, but when it's not, I'm not down with nostalgia. No, 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 because I think that I think that it's super, super important that on the one hand, there's things when you're like, hey, this is just nostalgia. You know what I mean? And there are. There's movies that people can talk about from the 80s that are great fun that are terrible. You know what I mean? That are just not good. Like, you can say, but it's kind of important, I think, for what we do here out on the fringes of, you know, pop culture, you know, in this wild west town of the internet, that we don't turn around and go, you know what was great? Like, Die Hard 2 was great. It was better than Die Hard. And I'm just like, that doesn't, that's not this weird, like, hey, you know, the facts of life are actually better than different strokes. You know, why? Because I, because you could orgasm to them. You know what I mean? Like, there's something, there's something that's just fundamentally different to me. I'm not saying that, like, those movies were better because they're the movies that I saw and I remembered fondly as opposed to the movies that I saw and I didn't remember fondly. I'm saying that there are some action movies that are better than other action movies and it's important to actually keep that straight in your head and not just be saying things like, oh, you know, so-and-so was great because he directed The Warriors, you know. Well, there's there's a long time between 1978 and, like, 1988 when he's doing uh, Johnny Handsome, which is an excruciatingly bad film, you know. So, on the one hand, you're absolutely right. You're somewhat right in that I am being a snob, but I, I swear that it's related to standards. And, you know, the great thing about this is 
it's going to be a perfect segue for when I start talking about Batman Odyssey by Neil Adams and Jack Kirby's Captain America Omnibus. So, Oh, well, you have to go into those now then. Okay. So let's start with Captain America's Omnibus, actually, because one of the things that's fascinating to me is sitting down and reading it all at a go and being like, hmm, how do I put it? Like, looking at the parts of it that are great because they're Kirby, there's the parts that are great that because I'm, you know, nostalgic and I re- remember where I was when I read them. Um, and then there's the parts that are, frankly, not great. You know, there's a lot in uh, in in Captain America Omnibus that is just not good. You get amazing stuff like, uh, you know, Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, you know, or even individual select pieces that I love. Um, but, you know, it's fascinating rereading Captain America Omnibus, like how much better a character, and I don't know if you've read it recently or if this it all jives with what you remember, is how much better a character the Falcon is than Captain America in this book. Like, like the Falcon is a bit of a trash talker, but he's like always a dude of action, you know? And Captain America is a little bit on the wishy-washy side, but not in that like modern Captain America, let me give a speechifying about what America means, but just in kind of this weird, like, well, admittedly, the part of the thing that's the problem is, is that the, you know, the the stuff that supposedly inspired Rick Remender's current Captain America run, the Arnim Zola issues uh, yes. that Kirby did. So I just reread those. Those are not good by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Like I reread them and I, and I have fondness for them, but they are, they're, they're bad. Like they're just bad. Like, so there's this thing, I don't know if you remember, but what happens is, is like, Steve and Sam and Lila and Sharon Carter are out at a restaurant and they end up seeing like the, 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 the members of the swine, these Latin American policemen who are trying to grab uh, a waiter basically and take him forcibly back to his country. And as a result of essentially fighting so that the waiter can actually give them their dessert and bill uh, and ostensibly protecting him uh, in a way that's just like a fist fight in a restaurant. Those guys, basically they, the foreign police are like, you know what? We should really take that blonde guy because he looks like, no, no, he could be good in a fight. So they go back to the apartment, kidnap him, right? To take him to gas him and, and steal him back to this country of the swine, right? And the thing that's great is, A, in the course of after they've gassed him, they start to remove his clothes and they see his Captain America outfit and they're kind of like, oh, that seems kind of interesting. Like, they don't even recognize Captain America, which is kind of a weird, you know, like, there's something weird about Kirby. This happens a lot, actually, in Captain America Omnibus, where Captain America, it's the guy is dressed like a fucking flag and he's walking around in America and nobody knows who he is. They're always like, hey, stranger, who are you? You know, like, I feel like like there's that, during that Mad Bomb storyline, there's that amazing left turn where, like, Captain America has to, like, subdue, uh, seduce the, the dying girl on the ranch and she's like, I feel like I can trust you even though I've woken up in my bedroom and you're in a costume and it's dark. 
And yet, I don't know who you are, despite you being dressed like the American flag. Like, it's kind of like, I don't know what's going on with Kirby at later things of this, but he was just like, um, it's, it's actually one of the things that's great, is, is in the middle of all of this, Cap is having arguments with Sharon Carter that are the world's most painfully out-of-character arguments, where basically Sharon Carter is like, you need to quit being a superhero. Like, why do you have to give so much to everyone else and nothing for us? What's going to be left for us? And, you know, she's a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, so it's kind of like a little bit of an asshole maneuver. But at one point, this is great, at one point after Cap gets kidnapped, he's like, "Uh, I hope Carol will understand what happened, you know? And I'm like, Carol? It's Sharon. Like, you know, like, Kirby's like, what's her name? Sharon Charter. But that's... To make you realize just how right she was, she's like, Cap can't even remember my name. Well, see, that's it. I'm like, it makes sense to me. I was like, oh, Captain America, you are an asshole. You've got your own girlfriend's name wrong. Just leave him. And, of course, this is, like, right before he falls into, like, the lap of the fourth spoiled Harris who's like, I find you mysteriously attractive and charismatic, you tiger man. You know, like, like seriously, like, Cap's, like Kirby's not even on the book for that long. Anyway, all of which is to say... The Captain America omnibus has parts in it that are fantastic, but overall, parts of it are really bad. Like, this and Black Panther, like, Kirby's return to the 70s, it's fascinating to me that the hardest um, area to defend him, like, the, 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 the toughest ground to actually defend his work on, for people who don't get it, is on characters that he co-created, you know? That Black Panther and Captain America books are really not Anywhere as good as like 2001 or uh, yeah, but at the same time, does that not make sense to you? Because if you think about it, at that point, Kirby had Kirby had not defined those characters and was trying to step into to recreate them, redefine them, whatever. And his definitions are so out of sync with not only what had come before, but also what would come afterwards. Well, that's it. They they are utterly out of sync. You know, damagingly so for me in the case of going from Don McGregor's Jungle Action Black Panther to Kirby's Black Panther, uh, which at the time was a horrible, horrible schism. But, you know, rereading the books later, I'm like, I, I, you know, I can see Kirby had, there's some charms here. But at the same time, yeah, they're not, they're not really even in touch with themselves. You know, I mean, Kirby's doing them. And, and the thing, one of the best things about Kirby, and maybe it's a necessity of who he was is he has very little sentimentality for stuff that he created it could be that it's painful to him you know um particularly in the case of something like captain america or the black panther or basically him having to be back at fucking marvel i can see him being like i don't want to draw any of these characters that made you all rich while i bear you know was able to get by but am now locked out of profits forever you know, yeah, it's I totally see that. But uh, but I also do think there's something about the guy that's interesting in that he is. What I find fascinating is, is that the Captain America stories are pretty slapdash. And I say that as a fan of Kirby, who thinks some of the slapdashiness, the speed is part of the charm, you know, even by oh, the I, speedy I, I think Captain so. America. Because I, I didn't I didn't read the Captain America when it came out. I read it, you know. I read it post-reading Eternals and definitely far post-reading Fourth World and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was really excited when it started. And it's one of those books that is so long that my enthusiasm for the book had pretty much died by the time I came to the end. Yeah, 
Exactly. As well you should. As well you should. Because, like I said, that last story, it's the story is bad. Like, oh, so so Captain America gets kidnapped and taken to a, a Latin American country. The Falcon has no... It actually has him. Like, I've got to look for Cap, because that's what he would do. I have no idea where he might be. He literally has no idea, Graham, and he manages to fly to the right country. It's a continent away. And and it actually has him being like, well, i just got to keep looking for Cap. Like, literally, like it's like, I don't know where he can be. I'm going to start with the Southern Hemisphere. It's hot. Like, and, I'll, and, and, of course, the thing that's amazing is he stumbles across the world's biggest bird nest with this big super giant bird and this amazing panel where it's like, you know, you actually see pages where the falcon is dodging just the arrival of the bird and the debris and the falling and then you see him like be like, ah, good lord and then there's a full page shot of this amazing griffin-like thing that's on the top of a um, uh, a nest on top of a mountain and, you know, the falcon's flying around and you see how tiny he is and Kirby never returns to that. <laughs> it's like, it goes on for like another three issues, and then Sharon Carter shows up with the Red Skull, and the Red Skull in time to be like, hey, everything blow up, I'm the Red Skull, you know? And later in the hospital, there's Falcon like next to Steve, and he's like, hey man, how you feeling? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blind, how about you? He's like, not bad, I almost got killed by a bird, but, you know, people showed up. I'm like, it's four issues later, and it was just like, such bad plotting. Like, Kirby really, like, that's his next-to-last Captain America storyline, and he so could not give a shit. Even while he's, like, churning out, like, like, there were parts of that story that I did not recall. Like, I I was like, oh yeah, and then Arnim Zola creates that fish creature that nearly kills Cap. No, there's just that fish creature, then it's killing Cap, and then Arnim Zola pretty much calls it off so that he can get to the next issue. And I'm just like, wow, that's... It's weak sauce by Kirby's regard. And the thing that is hilarious about this is it's still so much more competent than... Uh, even though it's Kirby really be doing very... Uh, particularly by the end, his joy is gone. And when Kirby's joy is gone, you can kind of sense it. it does, things don't come together. He's still churning out the pages. There's still stuff in it that's kind of wild. In fact, at some points, his design gets so abstract, it's astonishing. But it's kind of bullshit. Whereas, by contrast, the thing that amazes me about Batman Odyssey, the hardcover that I picked up at the library, is that Neil Adams is going to tell the biggest Batman story of all time with his absolute list of things that's going to melt everyone's mind, and it is such a huge embarrassment. You know, like it is, it is amazing. Did you now? I'm sure, like the rest of this civilized world, you've probably read the amazing comic book resources uh, recaps. Com- I think Sorry, you not Comics CBR. Alliance. I do Comics Alliance recap by Laura Hudson and David Wolken. I'm like, I got their names right, and I got their column wrong. Fabulous. Yeah, Comics Alliance. The synopsis of those, which I had read, and I have to say. Like, I was like, oh, teehee, this is, you know, this is hilarious. What the hell is Neil Adams thinking? But then when you read it, you're like, I'm reading, I'm reading the world's biggest Batman fanfic, you know, by a dude who used to be a giant. And probably because of the fact that he's 72 years old uh, and is and is no editor anywhere in sight, you are getting just pure 
pure. I mean, the thing that's interesting is there's one part of it that's just the insane part, and there's the other part of it that is like just so hampered by so many bad storytelling choices. It, just such bullshit. So have you have you read it? Have you read any of it? I have read like maybe the first two issues, and then I kind of bailed because I thought that it was maybe one of the worst things I'd ever read. Dude, right? Exactly. But then as but here's it goes the thing. on, I did. I have no um, loyalty to Adams at all. Oh yeah, no. Neither I've, do I've I. never been a massive Neil Adams fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Like if you were to give me a list of, like seriously, just the top twenty f- artists of the era, you know. Like, I'm not even sure he would really squeak on the list for me. There's some things about his design that I like, but I, I think, as you and I have talked about, I think we're both much huger fans of Jim Aparo, who arguably, you know, to me, is the, is the Neil Adams clone that is Neil Adams to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, he, Neil Adams is... more alive about his work. Mm-hmm. There, there is. There is. You know, Superman versus Muhammad Ali aside, which, I mean, you know, even still, is... Is great, but is goofy. You know what I mean? And it's it's like uh, okay, so so the thing about Neil Adams' Batman Odyssey that I I feel is worth discussing that I should mention because I I'm not really sure if it was captured in the tenor of the recaps is how much he Adams is trying to explain all this stuff about Batman and is really just doing a fantastic job of showing why you should not explain shit about superhero characters past a certain point, you know? Like, those first three issues that you saw, I think you probably read the issues where Batman is caught in an interminable fight with, like, these dude. First, there's the fight with the guys on the train where he's got guns, and it's weird and dumb, and that's supposed to tie into the interminable fight that he has with 15 dudes in a warehouse, um, which involves Batman getting shot and his miracle, like, oh, but don't worry, I have the world's best bulletproof stuff, and when someone tries to shoot me in the face, I've got the special bat face mask you know, like, he's going at every level to explain how Batman can work in the real world and really underlines, like, why you should never... Why, why, why Batman doesn't work in the real world. Yeah, why it doesn't work in the real world. Like, you cannot pursue that conversation. I mean, and part of it is him... But, I mean, it's fascinating. He really is, like, he has this list. He's like, okay, what if I told a story that showed, basically... Because the other thing that's fascinating is he kind of makes the point that Batman is a patsy. You know, that essentially Batman, who is like the world's greatest, sharpest dude, is basically only fighting supervillains that exist just to keep Batman distracted from the the problems of the real world. You know, which as far as I can tell, I you know, he, Adams, I don't feel goes on to make it very explicit, but there's such a huge, um, you know, because God bless him, he's Neil Adams. His whole, you know, thing evolves into this, like, oh, and you know, what? because the Earth is hollow like a crystal and expanding, you know, this thing that he actually believes, the second half of Odyssey takes place inside the crystal Earth where Batman is riding dinosaurs, and and then it just goes, I mean, it goes so surely into insanity. But, but because Adams is sort of trying to make this thing of like, yeah, Batman is being kept you know, distracted from the big picture, which is, uh, I think, something along the lines of big oil companies are, like, in the middle of the hollow earth, 
um, you know, taking our oil and trying to make sure that nobody knows about it so that they can keep their high profits because oil is so amazingly abundant inside the crystallized earth next to all these dinosaurs um, and giant bat people. Oh, God. Graham, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this without passing out. So let, <laughs> let me just say, let me just say that, that it's fascinating that even in the midst of all this, it's like Neil Adams is actually trying to say, no, 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 no. I know it seems silly that, that, that Batman fights these, you know, goofy guys and puts them in Arkham Asylum and then they just get out and then he fights them over and over again. But it exists because A, Batman won't kill and B, people therefore can manipulate Batman by giving him the same foes to fight over and over again who only exist to keep him distracted from the real problems of the real world, which sadly to Neil Adams means oil deposits in the hollow earth. So it goes... You've I, sold me, Jeff. Dude, seriously. I mean, he's got this list of like, you know, he's like, I thought of this great way to connect dead man to Robin, which would be great if it wasn't told in the world's silliest way. And Adams, again, is, is like, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to show why Batman is the greatest hero of all time. I'm going to have him riding giant bats. I'm going to have, you know, wizards who are actually jazz musicians turned, you know, who have teamed up with aliens to enable to fight, like, the dinosaur people in the crystalline Earth. Actually, I think they're both fighting against the the dude who ordered dead man killed but dead man's got a secret history that links his origin to robins and therefore is the only one who truly understands him and also aquaman is a total badass because he can kill people with manta rays like it just goes on and on and on and it is it is it is as you would say spectacular if it was not such a hideous embarrassing failure i ha- i have to ask is the robin dead man connection that boston brand used to perform with the flying graysons uh, n- n- well, yes, actually, he does mention that. Uh, he does mention that. Um, because that was... that's from Mark Wade. Ah, well. So uh, yes, no, actually, Adam's big thing is is that Dead Man was killed by an assassin who, um, was basically trying. Uh, it was an initiation test into the League of Assassins. Uh, which the League of Assassins end up being run by Ra's al Ghul's son, essentially. Um, dead man. Wait, isn't that's what change Ra's al Ghul's son to Ra's al Ghul? Isn't that actually like continuity? Like, wasn't that isn't all of that been part of continuity for a while? I I don't. I think it got connected after the fact differently. I'm not sure, but no. I think the little Asian kung fu master who is the master assassin of the League of Assassins in... Oh, you're right, that's Sentai, and he ends up fighting Rush al Exactly. Yeah, that's the Morrison storyline. And yeah. I was like, that's in Batman, that's in Grant Morrison's Batman. So yeah, 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 yeah. Well, in Neil Adams' Batman Odyssey, that shits all of your Batman out its butt after eating them um, and absorbing none of it. Uh, that is the greatest review ever. <laughs> Neil Adams' Batman Odyssey shits all your Batman out. <laughs> it's true. Welcome to my excessively literate reviews. Uh, I, I, the sensei is Ra's al Ghul's son, and he looks older than him because Ra's al Ghul refuses to let him have access to the Lazarus Pit. So part of what ba- gets Batman entangled in the whole Odyssey is the battle between Ra's al Ghul and Ra's al Ghul's son, who is the the sensei of the League of Assassins, the League of Assassins are who killed Deadman, but 
they also killed the flying Graysons. In, in other words, the, the I don't know if it's established that the guy with the hook who's the same guy who killed Dead Man is the guy who killed Robin's parents. I don't think so. I think the point was supposed to be that the killers who killed Robin's parents were doing so for an initiation into the League of Assassins, which honestly is a huh, really merits a huh. But in in the series, whenever anyone mentions it, they just shit their pants. Like it is. You know what I love about that though? It's just League of Assassins are like, you want to join us? Kill someone at a circus. Well, I mean, it's even like kill someone on a trapeze. Like, talk about a low bar. I mean, you're right, totally. It's like, okay, you want to kill somebody? Kill this dude on a high cliff. Like, how many more gimmies do you get? Like, just hit him in the fucking arm. Like, he's dead. You know, you're absolutely right. The League of Assassins. Where's my card? please (laughs) here I am master assassin I was able to throw off the attention of someone engaged in a life threatening (laughs) technically you're right it's like I whistled at the wrong time he he died fucked him up yeah just just give me your card it's a little known fact league of assassin assassin comes from the Turkish word for dickhole you know, like, not Master Killer, just kind of a fuckface, you know, in terms of being, like, like, oh, hey, I totally stole this theater seat, League of Assassins, represent, you know, I don't know, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, it's, dude, Batman Odyssey has to, has to fight a real Cyclops, um, and the Cyclops is telepathic, it's... Oh. Of course the Cyclops is telepathic. Of course, and Batman figures it out. And it's one of those things where it's just it's just not written, oh, and the dialogue is so bad. I mean, it's not, but, like, even if an editor had sharpened it up, like, even that one, like, there's that one thing where it's, like, Batman being the brilliant detective figures out that the Cyclops is telepathic because it properly refers to him as Batman. Even though in this underworld it's established that there's television and radio waves and every other person that he's encountered knows Batman. So it's kind of a bad, like, it's... It no, does, Jeff, it Cyclops first. don't have television. Well, that's it. Because they have one eye and therefore the stereoscopic. You know, like, it's just one of those things I'm like, oh, but if you just changed it where he called him Bruce Wayne and then it would be like, oh, okay, then you could figure it out because blah, 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 blah. Just little, there's little tweet, there's little things that could be fixed, and then there's just a huge smoking circuit board of insanity that can't be fixed. But what's amazing to it is it is, it is Neil Adams, like, he's coming out like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? It's just, the guy is 72 years old, and, you know, and frankly, there is something to be said for writing comics as opposed to just drawing them. There is some skill in the storytelling that isn't just like, hey, I can lay out a page, which Adams does a lot of in Batman Odyssey and sometimes is kind of like, hey, I don't understand why this one person's yelling into this other person's hand, you know, like a lot. So, um, but like I said, but he's not hacking it out, but he is... He's, but it is hacky. It's, how do I put it? Yeah, it's it's whatever it is. It's not hacky. It is this, like, it really, I honestly believe it is a labor, labor of love, in no small part, because Neil Adams really is, like, he throws in so much more shit there toward the end, where you've got, like, tanks fighting dinosaurs, fighting, like, warriors riding bats, while, like, m- you know magic wizards and, like, little green aliens are in the process of, like, disassembling, like, you know, crazy robot oil refinery guys 
and yet it the problem the problem is clearly his ability his ability, no matter how sharp his ability to actually tell a story coherently was back in the day which i think can kind of be argued at various points it is so atrophied and was he was so left out on his own in the cold to just do this thing it's it's really remarkable it's really fascinating um what a failure it is and there is and so this is probably the world's worst justification of jack kirby is he never got as bad as neil adam gets in batman odyssey not even close um even when he clearly wasn't kind of uninterested in or his heart was no longer in the material. And I feel that Kirby did a great job of always trying to put at least something that he could care about in the material. It's just, you know, it wasn't going to survive uh, 12 issues of Captain America um, under the conditions that he was producing them in. Sadly. And the moral of that story, ladies and gentlemen, that you should never go back to your greatest... <laughs> the story is, don't let Jeff drink coffee 45 minutes before he gets on the phone with Graham. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel there is some sort of, like, don't go back lesson that you can take from that. I think, because I think that the expectations were so high and the results were so low. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, cert- God knows, certainly in the case of Adams, it was like, don't go back, but, or go back sooner, or, I think there is something to be said for abandoning it. Like, I think, as someone who loves what Kirby did with the Hunger Dogs, part of what he did was a very different wrap-up from what he originally had in mind. And it, Yeah, I think the Hunger Dogs is much better because of that as well. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think if you go back, it's like, don't go back with what you were going to do, what you came up with in your head 20 years ago. Like, just, like, let it do you think go. That, do you think that's what Adams did? Do you think Adams was literally like, I've been thinking about the story since I left Batman in 1970-odd? Um... Bits and pieces of it, actually. I think bits and pieces of it. Certainly by the time Aquaman shows up and does his Aquaman thing, you're like, it feels like something on Neil Adams' to-do list. Like, make Aquaman cool. And also, like, explain why Batman fights the same six criminals. And also um, explain, essentially, how he can... How a guy dressed as a bat without a gun can actually beat people with guns. Which is really the first four parts of... Odyssey is essentially the the world's dullest manifesto about how that could actually ever be the case and goes to absurd lengths and is still unconvincing. So I think there's a variety of stuff that was on his list. And then, of course, you know, his whole love of the hollow earth theory, which I think has only been around, you know, he's, he's really been crazy about that theory for a decade or so, maybe two decades. I don't think he's actually been on that hobby horse as far back as the 70s. But yeah, I think he continued to to accrue these bits and pieces, and then at the end of it was like, I'm telling this masterful Batman epic that's going to incorporate everything that you love about my run in Batman, everything that I've always wanted to say with Batman, and uh, an absolutely cogent explanation as to why the Earth has a crystalline structure, and that's why we're... why. Panagia no longer exists, or whatever the fuck he was going with. Like, really, not great. So, I okay. I've got a question. I'll ask it quickly because we're approaching the hour mark, and you're beginning to come in and out in the call. Ooh. Um, how does this track with you with Frank Miller's return to Batman in not uh, Dark Knight Strikes Back, but All Star Batman? Oh, interesting. 
Because when you were right. when you were talking about Batman and then Aquaman shows up, I was like, oh shit! It it like it really reminded me of All Star Batman. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. I did think, in a way, because you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is, is when Frank Miller returns to Batman uh, with Dark Knight Strike, Dark Knight Strikes. It's. I can't entirely dismiss that work. I understand why people don't like it, but there's some. It's kind of amazing how he comes back and what he tries to come back to do. I don't think that it succeeds. Unfortunately, All Star Batman and Robin, I have a really tough time being generous to in any way. You know, because because like I said, Neil Adams is doing this this dream project. I really felt like Frank Miller is doing nothing but showing up for the cash for All-Star Batman and Robin. I, I could be wrong, but I think at that point, he is literally trying to see how far he can antagonize the fanboy audience and still pander to them enough that they will forgive him his trespasses. You know, I felt like every issue of that was him going a little farther out there into the realm of like, nay, all I'm saying is Black Canary likes it up the butt. What do you think, guys? Yes or no? Come on, who's with me? You know, and just having people be like, what are you even, why is this important? And it's like, come on, come on, I'm Frank Miller. You dig that, right? Come on. You know, I know you dig it. So there's, it, that's a very different reason for breaking a chair over a person's head as opposed to Dark Knight Strikes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I do feel like, and I could, I could be entirely wrong on that, but that seems very different from, at where I really feel like Adams is trying to be like a uh, heartfelt <laughs> in Batman Odyssey, and it although it doesn't do him any good because there's all these other huge flaws, it did make me like read through the entire hardcover because I was like, "Where is this fucking thing going to go next?" Is it of? is the hardcover all twelve issues? It is. It is. The hardcover collects all of it in one go. I think because they were like. <gasps> We can get people to buy one thirty-dollar volume. We're never going to get people to buy two twenty-dollar volumes, <laughs> particularly not if they read the twenty-dollar volume first. <laughs> if they read volume one, <laughs> there's no way they're coming back for volume two. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so uh, I'm glad that it was all under one roof, and I was really glad. But it also gave, I mean, really that book is interminable, and it's fascinating too. If you look at it, one of the things that's great about Batman Odyssey is is that they, there's ways where they can't figure out how to resolve the page count with the proper facing pages, you know, uh-huh. which is always a problem in these trades. But rather than doing, like, alternate cover, like, in some cases, they're already doing, like, the cover, and then they're doing, like, the sketch of the cover. And then four pages in, they'll just have a black page. Oh, that's not that's not just that book. That's really? DC books in general. Holy shit. I yeah. this is the first book I've ever seen it in and I'm just like guys really that's Yep they they do that all over generally these days it is um front cover then you turn over and you've got like the variant cover or the pencils of the cover mm-hmm. and then it'll be the story and if there is a a problem with the facing page they'll just stick in a black page amazing amazing I'm just like it's so inelegant and really 
poorly placed. Like I just, I it just because of course with the Neil Adams story where anything goes, you're like, is he having blackouts? You know, (laughs) (laughs) is this actually part of the story? I I was pretty sure that it wasn't, but I couldn't entirely rule it out. So yeah, that is spectacular. Yeah. Well, that sounds terrible, Jeff. It was terrible. <laughs> and you have made that. At one point, I was like, he's almost making this sound interesting. And then, at this point, I'm back on the, I do not want to read that book. Yeah. It, it's it's a chore and a drudge. And it's only, it's only in this way of, like, if you like reading other people's fanfic, and then the idea, the really sad idea is, this is the fanfic of a giant in the industry. Um, you know. What sells me on it more is the, it's a failed project. Oh, then see, that's it, though, Graham. You would be fascinated by it as a failed project. The more you know, I think, about Adams, and you probably, you know, I don't really know that much other than obsessed with the, you know, the hollow world and thinks of himself as pretty rational. Like, looking at it is, it's, it's a, it's a fail, it's a failed masterwork, you know. Um, It is something that he honestly thought was going to, like, knock the world on its ass. And he, he really puts so much effort into it. But you should read it. You're a fan of horrible dialogue. You should check this out. Like, it has... You're a fan of... You, you like... Come on. You like Chris Claremont. You like Jack Kirby. You're right. a fan of horrible dialogue. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like, and, and this is interesting. Unfortunately, I don't know if we'll be able... To, we should jump and then come back and discuss some of this more. But, like, I feel like Bob Haney and Jim Aparo and uh, their Brave and the Bold reprints are a perfect reason why you shouldn't necessarily not come back. Because those books were really great, you know? Like, there are a number of reprints out there, even of material that I already have, that is satisfying, not necessarily in the way that I thought it would be sometimes, but like, or, you know, the Ascent, um, the Black Panther uh, Marvel Masterworks, where I'm like, I adored Don McGregor with all my heart. And rereading him, I'm like, oof, yeah, okay, he really is a little, yeah. But. But Billy Graham's pencils are an amazing uh, organic thing that just Mm -hmm. really gives that book a very (coughs) unique power to it that I wasn't expecting, you know? Um, I think those things... And I think... So I think those things are good. I I just think, unfortunately, when you go back, even if it's the creator going back, and I'm not exactly sure. I'm like, maybe that's not what Graham meant. (laughs) Maybe it meant Neil Adams shouldn't go back to Batman. Or no, that, that, that's exactly what it meant. I see. Right, right, right. Back. The creator should be like, I have done that, I have left, and now I'm going to do something else. Yeah, but hmm, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, I, is is there an example of a creator going back to a classic run and not being disappointed outside of what Frank Miller doing Born Again? Right. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Frank Miller doing Born Again. Uh, I, Jesus, I want to say yes, but I'm not exactly sure who I would be pointing to. Because I'm like, sure, like you put Doug Minch back on Master of Kung Fu and it's still great. And I'm like, but was it really? Was it really as good as it was at that first hundred or so issues ago? You know? Because part of me is like, well, you know, you could always point to. Engelhart going back on Avengers with West Coast Avengers, but at the right. same time, that was a totally different thing. Well, and it, it was... it's great, but it's great <laughs> in like a, a campy way, if that makes sense. Well, it's great in a different way. I mean, it's not the same thing, but it has enough strengths on its own. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of or 
you know, we've got guys like a lot of people would say that John Wagner going back to Judge Dredd over the years, right? Isn't that kind of a... that actually that that's that's a great counter argument. Yeah, that is, yeah, you're totally right. So uh, anyway, well, listen. So do you think we should jump? And uh, I think we should jump because you actually disappeared halfway through saying something. Ah, shit. Okay, uh, let's jump. Do you want to reboot your internet and I'll give you like I a minute will indeed, two? and then uh, give me like a minute and then we'll talk again. Fabulous. All right. Indeed we are. My goodness, and you sound you sound great. Thanks. You sound great too. And Jeff, <laughs> you look great as well. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. I know you're just about to compliment me on my beard, and I have to say, well, you should. I, I did see the beard photograph on uh, Twitter the other day, and holy shit, Jeff. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. It really has taken on sort of a life of its own. But, um... And yet the perverse thing is, <clears throat> not only do I like it, but I get nothing but compliments on it. To the point where I'm actually thinking that it is, in fact, absolutely hideous. And people are, are like, humoring me or something, or scared of I, I, me or something. I don't know. I thought you were going to say that you thought that maybe the beard was wearing you. Oh, no. I passed that point about three weeks ago. <laughs> it's... I it's the beard's world. I'm just living in it. So. I had, for uh, a while, uh, fairly substantial sideburns. Um, that I had grown as a result of what could only really be described as a neighborhood dare that got out of hand. <laughs> I, won't, I won't even explain the context of it. Let's just say that it happens and I grew the sideburns. Then, as I said, I FaceTimed my sisters this weekend. Yes. And when my sister described me as looking like one of those drawings where if you turned my head upside down, I'd look like a different person. <laughs> That was when I decided that the dice side had to go. Oh no! Keep them! Uh, they're actually gone. I actually uh, had a, a massive haircut and, and cleaning up before yesterday. Ah, shoot. Dog For my whole shebang yesterday. Your whole. What? What? Canadian television? Is yeah, that what British, you mean? British television. What? Tell me more. Uh, I did a Skype interview. With Sky News. Ooh, Sky News. Oh my god, that's huge. Uh, that They were supposed to email me today because it was supposed to go out today, and they never did. So I don't know if that means it didn't go out, or or what. Or oh. if they just like forgot. It was the most frustrating experience you can imagine. Yeah. If you think you and I have a bad Skype connection, yeah. uh, try a Skype connection where literally neither of us could get through a sentence without it going down. Holy God, that's terrible. Uh, and then also, here's um, this is why it was frustrating in general. Uh, I was being interviewed, but none of the person's questions were going to appear in the final piece. Oh, so it's just one of those things that makes it sound... Is it is it one of those things where you have to... Your first sentence is basically restating it's, their question as a yeah. statement? Ugh. Yeah. So they were like, you know... 
Netflix has done House of Cards as a season, like this entire season available at once. Do you think this will start binge pro- uh, programming? Do you think binge watching is a problem? Right. And I'd have to start with, well, binge watching might be a problem. Like it was just, it right. was really weirdly artificial. Um, that compared with the and it combined with Skype going down, like literally every second, um, made for the most disjointed conversation I've ever had in my life. Ugh, that sounds horrible. That really sounds horrible. You would think that talking to me would take that honor, so I'm actually somewhat appalled that someone is has, has beaten that. But, but uh, I decided I had to lose the sideburns before that, because I was like, this is ridiculous. See, and clearly, in retrospect, that was your undoing. If you'd kept the sideburns, you know, Skype would have been broadcasting you, you know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, wow, Sky News. Jeez, I hope someone over in, in one of our Brit listeners can confirm whether that actually happened. I have a sneaking suspicion they just looked at it and tried to, you know, tried to edit it together and was like... I would not be surprised if, like, the quality was so bad that it didn't happen. Yeah. Because, really, it was such a, a pain in the ass mm-hmm. to record. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't be surprised if they were like, oh, so then we rebooted our systems and it turned out we weren't recording and we didn't want to tell. Right. You know? It, I, you know, as it was, it was half an hour of my day. It's not the end of the world. Right. Right. Well, that's true. But still, such a shame. And such a shame that sideburns had to die for it. <laughs> exactly. Sideburns were sacrificed. Oh, oh, that's depressing. Uh, Jeff, do you know we still have 20 questions left? 20? No, I did not. Did you read Avengers Academy Annual? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Skip. Wait, do you mean Avengers Assemble Annual? I do actually mean Avengers Assemble Annual. Uh, I did not. I've read two comics this week. They're called Young Romance, the new 52 Valentine's Day special. Oh my god. I didn't pick, I didn't see that in the store, and I wish... That's because your store clearly loves you. (laughs) It was that bad, huh? Oh, it's, it's really... Yeah, it's bad. It's, you you know what's great about it? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the Valentine's Day cards that are in the middle mm-hmm. <laughs> that have a picture of a DC character and then a, a slogan tied to that character. Yes. Aquaman, let's make a splash, Valentine. See, I love those. Uh, but did The they... Flash, you stole my heart in a flash. <laughs> Nightwings, hilarious. Are you ready? I'm ready. You've got Grayson Beauty. Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, Wonder Woman's You're Wonderful. Wow. There's some where they clearly tried harder than in others, apparently. Well, Swamp Things, You Don't Bring Me Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> or the Superman one, which is kind of an innuendo, My Love is More Powerful Than a Locomotive. There we go. Green Lantern, Fear Not, I'll Always Love You. Oh. Ugh. Ugh. Green Arrow, Cupid Beat Me To It. No. That is great. Oh my god. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's really it's it that's the highlight. If I say that's the highlight, do you understand how terrible <laughs> I, I I do. Well actually, you know, it's funny, they had like somewhere, probably, God help me, bleeding cool, had like preview pages for the first three pages of like maybe the Superman Wonder Woman story or something. And I was like, This is kinda shitty. And then there was the Catwoman one, which I think might have been written by Anne Nocenti or something. It is like and I was like, it goes at one point, Batman telling someone that he's got huge spunk. Really? <laughs> yes! Oh. You got huge spunk, that's for sure. That's what he says. It's, yeah, all of it is kind of appalling. Um, 
Wow. I'm, I'm looking through and thinking, like, there's got to be at least one story that is not terrible. Yeah, the one story that's not terrible is Peter Milligan and Simon Bisley do Apollo and Midnighter. Uh-huh. Which is exactly as just fucking weird as you would expect. Mm-hmm. And the best part is, it ends with, check out upcoming issues of Stormwatch, and of course, like, Peter Milligan's off the book. Right, of course. With Jim Starlin. Uh... Yes, let's face it, that comic is soon to die. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Actually, the highlight of that comic, and the highlight of every DC comic this month, uh, this week, rather, might be the new Channel 52 thing at the back. Oh, really? Yes. Which is hilarious. I don't know. It's not hilarious in the way it's meant to be, but it's hilarious. Well, I forget. Doesn't it... I should know how that actually starts, but I don't. It's the uh, the TV news anchors basically doing a, a bullpen bulletins for DC. Ah, I see. Okay. <coughs> right. But yeah, so I read that and I read Green Arrow, which is the first Jeff Lemire issue. Mm-hmm. It's fucking appalling. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it really is terrible. Really? It is, it is one of those comics where they're like, okay, Jeff, You've got Green Arrow, but we want you to to remake it. And he's like, I, I've got a great idea. I know exactly how I'm going to remake it. And what he meant was, I'm just going to literally blow up the supporting cast in like the first five minutes. Oh, no. Like, <clears throat> one, one of them gets an arrow in their neck and then pulls out a window. And then the rest of them literally blow up. <laughs> And it's got art by Andreo Sorrent- Sorrentino, mm-hmm. who did uh, the art on iVampire. Mm-hmm. But he colours this as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a bold colouring choice. And by bold, I mean <laughs> someone should have told him to like, pull it back a bit. Oh, really? Like, what if I drop all the colour in this panel? <laughs> most weird the weirdest panel it's happening for an effect it's happening because he thinks it will look cool mm-hmm. so you can full, co- full color and then all of a sudden like all the color will drop out of our green hours mask or something wow the effect is just like you pay an amazing amount of attention to this panel which will be like green hour looking at the reader being like what <laughs> it's a horrendous misfire of a comic oof if this is their like hey Green Arrow, people are paying attention to Green Arrow because that TV show. Why don't we make the comic match it? Mm-hmm. It's the worst. <laughs> like, it's really, it's really horrible. I wish they, I do wish they stuck with, um, like the earlier version, which is pretty much, hey, do you like the character in Smallville? Here he is in comics. Right, right. You know, <clears throat> I have to say, um, like. <laughs> And I know it's been said before, but like DC, they're not paying attention, are they? That should be their slogan. The new DC, we're not paying attention, are we? Because like I saw the trailer for the Injustice video game recently, and I'm like, I, I really had this thought of like, DC put this out themselves? You know what I mean? Like they're kind of like, this is part of DC Entertainment, like... This is, in theory, a game that they are licensing. You know, they're not licensing it out to somebody who's like, hey, you know what would be great is be like if we did a sequel to that Mortal Kombat game, except there's nobody else in it except the DC characters being awful to each other. 
you know, like, it really had this weird, like, I don't know, you know, like, all of a sudden I was a lot more scared to see what's inside Jeff Johns' nightstand. Like, a lot more scared, you know? It, the first issue of the the comic prequel to that came out as well. Mm-hmm. It's, again, actually, I was going to say it's terrible. It's not terrible. Where it is going is terrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm is basically is the, the DC world's pretty much like the old school DC world the pre uh, flashpoint DC world uh-huh. uh, but these drive Superman insane because the Joker not only murders Lois Lane mm-hmm. but Lois is pregnant oh. he manages to get Superman to do it by giving Superman fear gas so Superman thinks it's doomsday and takes Lois into the atmosphere uh, out of the atmosphere I should say Wow. So Superman thrown off by the Joker's fear gas, which is really the Scarecrows, kills Lois Lane and their unborn child? Their unborn child, yes. Oh, and I might tell you, Lois also had, was the trigger. Lois's death was the trigger for the nuclear destruction of Metropolis. Okay. <coughs> Interesting. So, so the first issue ends with Metropolis destroyed, Lois dead at Superman's hands. Am I missing anything? Like, that's it. D- d- does the Joker get away? The the Joker does not get away, but that's only because it ends with the explosion. I see. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I have to say that's uh, oof, that's not going to end up anywhere good, probably. Um, right. So I kind of have this weird thing, like the Green Arrow, like. They're relaunching Green Arrow while they've got an Arrow show in production, and then, then the books apparently don't line up, like at all, right? Well, the, I, the new Green Arrow run seems to be very like trying to get to the same tone, if nothing else. Right. It removes the the team the Green Arrow had built up around him. It leaves him like as a kind of vigilante outside the law. It gets more towards like a serious gritty tone. Right, which is the tone from the TV show. Which but, is the tone of the show. But they weren't able to get those two things to line up, despite them supposedly being put together under the same company at the same time. Yeah, Graham, hello. Hello, you disappeared again. Son of a... <laughs> All right, well... Um... You clearly said son of a bitch, but you disappeared after... So I heard you going, son... <laughs> Shit, well, should we jump? Should I reboot my computer? What do you think we should do here? Okay, let's jump. Okay. And I will restart again and see if that makes any difference. Okay, let me do a full restart, too, in the hopes that if I reboot this computer from scratch, uh, something, 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 internet. (laughs) Okay, talk to you soon. All right, bye. Let's try again, Jeff Lester. Yes. Take three. Damn it. Go. Yes. Um, so as I was saying, son of a... No, okay. Um, <laughs> no, sir. Was that all I got? That, huh? was, that was all I got. Yeah, it was great. Well, I think I actually only said son of a, so technically I completed what I said. I didn't, I didn't actually get to a bitch. I don't know.
I don't know why. Sometimes I just don't swear right. So, uh, as as I was saying, and perhaps we should just wrap it up because it's just sort of depressing. But DC, they really just can't do shit right, can they? It's kind of sad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you feel. I, I read the. Did I tell you I read I read the Paul Levitt's like seventy five years of DC, you know, mammoth fuck off book. Uh. <laughs> You did not tell me that. You didn't tell me directly, but I knew thanks to the miracle of the internet. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, and it's it's one of those things where you read through and you're like, DC was great. And then you kind of look at what they're doing today and you're like, DC was great. <laughs> it, it's just, it's kind of sad because you, you look through all their history and you're like, so what, all the things that made DC great mm-hmm. are not there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the biggest one, I think, is the willingness to not toe the line like if you look at all the classic DC superhero projects not even vertical but the D- classic DC superhero projects right they're out of continuity and they're not you know let's do the biggest universe crossover we can mm-hmm. and that is the mentality that's taken over now well and it is a shame in that regard the to mention the once again the Batman Odyssey it is great it's one of those great, like, it's an out-of-continuity Batman project that is a labor of love by this one dude. Admittedly, they thought they could sell lots of copies of it, but that actually is kind of awesome that they will do that from, or used to do that from but that's time what I mean. to time. Yeah, used mm-hmm. to, because when, what are they doing now that's like that? Yeah. yeah I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> maybe some of their digital comics, I guess, like Orson Scott Card Superman. You know. Yeah, I have to say, not excited about that. However, Jeff Parker and Chris Samney doing Superman? Absolutely. Please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't <laughs> wait it, to get Let's have that. lots of that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things, like, I can't, like, I'm not excited about Orson Scott Card at all. But also, he'll be gone in two issues. Right. And if it means we're going to get Jeff Parker and Chris Samney doing Superman, sure. Yeah. I can happily ignore two issues of a comic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if they're priced at 99 cents digitally or whatever it is. Yeah. So. So yeah, I I don't know. I just DC is is not in a good place. The other day, because I was reading this book and because I was just thinking about DC things in general, I was like, Millennium would be a great fucking series for the New Fifty Two, as mm. long as you drop the Chosen. Mm-hmm. If you're just like the Manhunters are in the background, and they're doing something, mm-hmm. and you have a hero trying to find out what they are, what they're up to. Mm-hmm. And you basically play it as a straight conspiracy theory in the DC universe. Right. That's exactly the sort of book that would fit in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it was one of those things where I was like, there's all these, like, I keep having ideas for DC comics. That, <laughs> but I don't write comics. I definitely don't write DC comics. Right. I wish my brain would stop thinking about this sort of thing. Yeah, it's true. It is kind of painful because it's like, ah, no, stop it. Yeah. Yeah, but but your brain's just like, oh, but then they could do this, and then this could happen, and then and, this is superhero that is. It's Snapper Car and Ted Cord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck off, brain! <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> um, shoot. Well, okay. So in theory, we're not dropping out. Right? No. Although, you know, wait until we actually start getting into a topic, and then we'll be like, it's gone. Right. Exactly. The other thing I read this week that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to tell people about not because it's actually out anytime soon, but because when it comes out, I think a lot of people might want to pick it up. I got uh, an ARC of a book called Superman: The Unauthorized Biography. Uh huh. 
which is by a, an NPR guy called Glenn Weldon. Mm-hmm. And it's coming out in time for Superman's 75th birthday, which is apparently in April this year. Wow. Apparently the publication date of action number one, they think, is April 18th. Jeez. So, like, we're two months away. Wow. We're two months away from Superman's 75th birthday. Um, and oh, it's, right. a great, it's a great little read. Huh. It, it's not anything more than it pretends to be, which is literally, I am going through Superman's publication history. Mm-hmm order and hmm. funny stories and I will call out trends and I will call out media adaptations huh and it's it's great it's completely enjoyable I really really enjoyed it huh okay Superman an unauthorized biography by Glenn Weldon you said yes huh. that sounds fabulous uh, and who's publishing it if the book was not downstairs I would tell you right now hang on the internet can tell me <laughs> exactly uh, talk amongst yourself everyone Peas and carrots, 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 peas and carrots. Peas and carrots? I don't think so. It's published by Wiley. Wiley? Huh. Is that a Warner subsidiary? It kind of sounds like it. I don't think so. I think it's an independent publisher. Hence, it's being unauthorized. Sure. Oh, Graham. It says, celebration of Superman's life and history in time for his 75th birthday. How has the big blue Boy Scout stayed so popular for so long? How has he changed with the times? What essential aspects of him have remained constant? This fascinating biography examines Superman as a cultural phenomenon through 75 years of action-packed adventures, from his early years as a social activist in circus sites to his growth into the internationally renowned demigod he is today. Uh, really fun for me. Mm-hmm. It- Glenn Melden is clearly a massive Superman fan. Mm-hmm. So, like, when he's talking about Superman 2, when Superman gives up his powers, mm-hmm. like, gets upset at that plot. <laughs> he's like, Superman doesn't do this. Spider-Man would do that. Spider-Man would thankfully give up his powers. Mm. Superman does not give up his powers. Mm. This... And so you get that sort of viewpoint through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's Spanish enough but it's also, you know, not fanish enough that he will completely and wonderfully make fun of Vartok's mm. and how Vartok's essentially Sean Connery and, and <laughs> this, like the hairy male sexuality of the 1970s that Superman <laughs> he really tries the line really carefully, it's a really enjoyable book if you're a Superman fan and this book really made me realize how much of a Superman fan I am and how much I love Superman. Right. Uh, you you really will just go through it and you'll be like, I remember that. Oh, that's really smart. Oh, that's great. The whole... <laughs> it's like a nine and a half. Uh, I'm sorry, what was that last part of it? Ironically enough, you appear to be dropping out now, Graham. Oh, I said I sped through it in about a night and a half. Oh, a night and a half. Okay, thank you. I was like, you gave that a ranking of nine and a half? I, okay. So, well, speaking of Superman fans, did you see that uh, delightful um, the Ah uh, Yeah kick, uh, um, Kickstarter project by the guys who were doing Superman Family Adventures, which I was speaking so well of just the other week? Did you see the thing about how one of their backing levels was at a hundred bucks? Like Mark Wade will call the person and tell them why Superman is the best superhero ever. 
I did not. That's spectacular. Yeah, it's great. Pledge $100 or more for this reward. The honorable and goodly Mark Wade will call you via Skype or phone and tell you why Superman is better than the comic book superhero of your choice. Oh, uh, that is so great. <laughs> I almost want to pledge $100. Yeah, yeah. They had a couple of levels at that, you know, just like I think he was willing to make three phone calls, um, and all of those went pretty, pretty lickety split. <laughs> But did you see what the earlier two were? Why Superman is better than Batman, or why Superman is better than Aquaman? Yes, which I adore. Which oh, I adore. Oh, great! And I think I think it was Amy on Twitter was the one who was like, you know, a real reward level would be you get to call Mark Wade and tell him why your hero is better than Superman, and he has to just sit and listen. Oh man! Which, come on, face it, that would be great, just, and just have Mark Wade be like, I mean, come on, the guy's the guy's great, but that that would be kind of saintly. That would be really hard thing to do. <laughs> but it'd be awesome. Like maybe someday, if you have, we could figure out, what do you think? Do you think like if we could do that for like a Kickstarter, one of the levels would be person calls us and tells us why blank is better than Jack Kirby or something like that? Oh, and we'd have to take it. That would be. I- yeah, that'd be kind of rough, huh? <laughs> what what would we Kickstarter, Jeff? I I don't know. I mean, at this point, like a secure, like high speed T one internet for both of us, so there's no Skype lag. I guess. Uh, that, that, don't tempt me. <laughs> um, yeah, I I would I I was going to say it. I've said it for and I'll say it again. I would love love to do a podcast with Mark Wade if I wasn't so scared of him. That's really funny. You'd really be scared of him? Oh, God, totally. Mm. There there are certain comic creators I am scared of. Right. I, in the sense of, I think they're going to beat me up or anything, mm-hmm. but just in the sense, I don't think, I don't trust myself to have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And again, not because I think they're terrible, but the opposite, because I think they're great. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think we've gone over this, and <coughs> I have definitely lived out all your nightmares in reality, basically, so... Glad it's not just me. Yeah, like uh, Mark Wade, Greg Rucker. Um, I'm trying to think of who else would I like. I just wouldn't be able to have a conversation with. And here's the thing: they're probably all lovely people. <laughs> but I just like, ah ha ha. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think you and Greg Rucker could absolutely positively have like a final talk because he. Uh, no, he'd he'd have to be so forgiving. He's kind of a big muppet, Greg Rucker. You uh, know, have to be beyond forgiving. Seriously. <laughs> All right, so he's so you say, sir. So you say, but uh, that would be great. Maybe that would be another Kickstarter level. Is like you would actually have to talk to these people. <laughs> Thanks. Here's a Kickstarter. Graham's misery Kickstarter level. Yeah, two hundred bucks. Graham has to call the comics book professional of your choice. Can't be Mark Millar because of the restraining order. Sorry, Mark Miller because of the restraining order. But uh... I'm telling you, me and Mark Miller, we're we're pals now. <laughs> Again. I remember the first time you guys were pals. That was kind of traumatizing. We're not enemies. Put it that way. I don't. I don't, I don't even think he remembers I exist. Oh, I'm sure he doesn't. Because frankly, the great thing about Mark Miller is he can't remember half the things that have ever come out of his mouth. Or even better yet, he does. So, did you see his wonderful um, "The Justice League is a great way to throw away two hundred million dollars"? Yes, I did. And and I'm just like, wow. Wow, and of course, as everyone pointed out, sure, after he pretty much like all but begged to have that job, you know, <laughs> it's like 
But that, I mean, it's so funny. He's like, he's heading up Fox's Marvel slate. Yeah. And then, yeah, DC superheroes, she can't make a movie out of them. It's almost like he has an ulterior motive, Jeff. I know. It is shocking, isn't it? Yeah, that is, I know, I know. He's, he, that guy is shameless. And in a way that I find almost, uh, um. It's appealing. Like, it is, I, it is. I, it's grown from insulting to just actually kind of like, oh, that lovable sociopathic scamp. It really has, hasn't it? Like, oh, it really annoys me to like, oh, Mark. Oh, bless him. Right. There is that shit, sir. It's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Because you don't take anything he says seriously at all. Mm, certainly not. What's he saying now? Oh, yeah, sure. Right. Uh, Angelina Jolie, of course. Sure. <laughs> we don't say you safe. Whatever, Mark. <laughs> Hey, let me ask you, did you read Multiple Warheads? No, you haven't. You didn't pick it up this week. I haven't made the story yet, so no. Uh, okay, all right. Well, that'll be a good talk for next time, I think, actually. So. I, are, I, are you positive or negative about it? I am ambivalent about it, actually. That's a, that's a huge leap for you. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, honestly, I think it's... It's great in a in the it's another issue of multiple warheads, but as the last part of four, for like a you know a year or so until we start getting more, it struck me as um, just a little too inconclusive. You know, it just didn't. It had a bunch of set pieces and stuff, but I kind of had this thing like big ones and enjoyable, but at the same time, I was kind of like, I, I don't know. Like, I was kind of, I kind of had this weird, like, oh, I kind of thought we would be having a story by now, I suppose, <laughs> you know? My, and I had that feeling of, like, oh, shit, I'm going to pick up the, this is the last issue. How's he going to wrap everything up when technically nothing has really ever started, you know? but exactly. Wrapping up is not his problem. At this point, starting is a problem. Yeah. So I was, I have to admit, I was kind of surprised by that in that sense of like, oh, when we got to this point, I thought that we would have like that little end note that sort of, you know, the little grace note that you get that's like, oh, this is the end of book one, you know, or like the end of a chapter. But it really is just like, okay, there are these issues and then there's going to be a long time where there's not going to be any issues and then there's going to be issues again. Um, and it didn't feel, it just doesn't, you know, it's, it's, there's so much about Graham's work that is satisfying in and of its own self, the level of craft and just really some of the awesome storytelling ticks that he ticks, the storytelling, um, approaches that he takes, cause they're, they're not ticks. Uh, but, but by the same token, I was like, yeah, but is it kind of a drag that I don't really... Like, I only care about people in, like, the most breeziest definition of the word care, you know? Like... Yeah, but uh, I, this is going to sound like a strange defense. Mm-hmm. But wasn't that also true of King City? See, and this is the thing. I actually don't agree. Because I think that um, by the halfway point in King City... In fact, one of the things that I enjoyed about King City is I felt like... King City had the the plots that Graham just then basically deviated from or ignored or doodled away from, but it always gave him something to sort of return to. So whether it's um, you know the wrestler guy, you know rescuing the mermaid woman, or 
you know, the the attempts to God, I'm like, wow, I don't remember any of the characters' names of Joe, Joe is Yeah, Joe's master. story, right. Joe's Joe's attempt to like forget his old girlfriend or being drawn into this new relationship or find out who the weird dude who was who took his stuff. Like those are all like points that even where it ended it was kind of like but the story was kind of going like it may not have even had a grace note although I can't really remember with the first half of King City I felt like it did um, <laughs> and in fact this the end of King City is not it, you know is a deliberate nose thumbing I think it, it, it various ideas of ending at least as far as the plot goes but I guess for myself, for like I'm four issues into multiple warheads, and I'm not, I'm just not having that like the characters, what do they want kind of thing, it nearly as clearly as I had for the King City characters much earlier on. And on the one hand, I'm aware that multiple warheads isn't that kind of book. I'm still having this very strange reaction of. I don't, I don't need that much there, there, but I need a little bit of there there, you know, which is how I felt I, weirdly enough, I'm going to be the only person who's going to compare multiple warheads to Zero Dark Thirty, but having seen Zero Dark Thirty last night I'm definitely, there wasn't enough there there for me either in terms of like story and character arc and instead you get amazing, amazing performances and set pieces, but I'm still sort of I don't know, too linear or something So You're so up to the minute with your films yeah, I'm no, pretty... like the last one I saw was Skyfall. So, oh my God! Well, that was let's face it, Skyfall was pretty decent though. Oh no, it was spectacular. But yeah. like you know, that was the last thing I saw, and I saw that this weekend because I saw it <laughs> in second run. Well, we're trying to we're trying to catch all the Oscar Best Picture nominees before the Academy Awards, and I kind of don't think we're going to see it because I just don't have much gumption to go see either Life of Pi or Amor. Um, and of course, it's insane that I haven't seen Django Unchained yet, but I'm waiting to see it with Edie, who kind of doesn't want to see it. So Zero Dark Thirty was our attempt to break the stalemate of these final four Best Picture movies that we've got to get seen before February 26th or whatever. So, yeah, we saw Zero Dark Thirty last night, <coughs> and, you know, still haven't seen Django Unchained. So I look pretty good compared to you, I have to say, but compared to every single other person that I follow on Twitter, except for you, Graham, I'm in some pretty dire straits. Well, I spent last week, last Friday watching Earth like three hours of House of Cards at once, and my eyes were glazing over, Jeff. So I, that kind of put me off the idea of trying to stay current with contemporary pop culture. You were like, "Well, fuck this." So yeah. So what was your what was your opinion of it? Uh, it looks lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the writing. Is, have you watched it? No, I haven't. I haven't watched it yet. The writing is appalling. Mm -hmm. Like it's mind bogglingly clumsy dialogue mm. Mm. Uh, and Kevin Spacey's performance if you're looking for subtle and nuanced you're not going to find it there yeah yeah. the sad thing is Robin Wright is fucking amazing oh yeah you know now she that you're saying on all this fire. Stuff, I'm like I'm like I heard that and then I'm like oh right I heard it from Graham it's like I heard it from you on your, your... oh the wired thing yeah yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. no Robin Wright is really really amazing um, and by far the best thing she but. doesn't get enough work. Now, have you seen the original? Yeah, I I, <laughs> I had fond memories of the original. It was it, it was a big deal in Britain. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but I no, seem to remember no, it was like a really big deal. It's in a Britain big deal. And in fact, actually, it's funny. I was having lunch with a friend, and they were like, "Why?" They they were like they 
are American, but adored the original House of Cards, you know, and they were like, we were obsessed with it, and, you know, I'm sort of shocked that Edie and I haven't seen it, considering it's been kicking around It's on Netflix for, yeah. Yeah, and has been for a while, and I'd actually love to see it, probably more than this remake, because there's something about the remake, I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of faith in any of the character, any of the people involved in the production, with maybe the exception of... No, not even Robin Wright Penn, because she, she, let's face it, she got together with Sean Penn. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I think David Fincher makes the, the episodes look spectacular. Yeah, he it, does it that. It looks but... really, really good. But uh, but he's not got a spectacular reign on his actors. Yeah. And the, the dialogue is, is mince. The dialogue is terrible. Yeah, he, his, his, he's got, you know... For such a thoughtful guy, he can he sure can attach himself to some shit projects. So, you know. So, yeah, which I didn't necessarily think House of Cards was going to be, but on the other hand, eh, I don't know. Anyway, don't have a boner for it. But at least, you know, you saw three issue, three eps, and then you're like, you're not even going to, like, maneuver out for the next nine or ten or whatever. Oh, I will. I just, like, had absolutely no desire to do it then, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I'm not someone who's like, I want to binge watch the entire show now. So you're not a binge watcher. You're not like I am. I'm just not a binge watcher of that. <coughs> okay. Well, that's kind of a isn't that kind of a diplomatic way of saying that that's not like the show's either not to your taste or it's not. Uh, or are you actually saying, oh, it's an okay show. It's just not a binge watchy kind of show. Uh, th- that's what I'm saying. Like I will at some point I will watch the end of it. I, I am engaged enough to watch the end of it. Right. Um, but. Not in that Battlestar Galactica I, lost. Yeah, kind of. I, I can think of other things that I would rather do with my time, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you know, when I've had downtime this week, mm-hmm. I have watched other things. Mm-hmm. I have been like, now's a chance. Whereas, you know, with Misfits, I'd be like, okay, I've got an hour. I'm going to watch Misfits. Right, right. Whereas now I'm like, I've got an hour. I should see what I could watch. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's not a destination. You're, a destination television. That's not a destination you're particularly ready to get back to. Anytime yeah, soon. exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, what do you think? Questions? Because we're close to four thirty. I don't know how that happened. I know we are. Um, I don't. Let's know. do okay. some questions. Let, mm-hmm. Let's try and chuck away this as much as possible. But let's do these quick. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm down with that. Also, have you noticed that since you've rebooted, we're, our sound is working out? It seems to be working. There was a point where you're dropping out a little bit. But yeah, I'm thinking that maybe it's that I'm going to have to reboot between each uh, recording thing. Well, Although, uh, but if we both reboot, who knows? It might work out. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully it will be delight for all involved. Jesse M says, no way you'll have time to answer all of these. Choose one. I'm going to ask you three and you can choose one to answer, Jeff. Okay. One, what's the single issue of a comic that you love best? Two, I've been loving Journey into Mystery from Gillen and Eminem. Once Eminem's Sif run is finished, what team should tackle the Warriors 3? Or three, are there any current comics that would benefit from a Journey into Mystery or BPRD-style spin-off? Okay, honestly, I can answer number one off the top of my head. So I think that would probably be... I mean, there's several single issues of comics that I love the quote-unquote best, but I was this question did stick with me, I think because it almost got asked last time. And I really have to say, like, the it changes from time to time, but on that list of the top five, like, single issues, I would 
be very quick to point people toward uh, Jack Kirby's OMAC number one because I think it is one oh, of the okay. best first issues ever and arguably it's like it's so good that even Kirby wasn't able to to match it in the yeah, rest of the it's run. Yeah, it's better than the rest of the series by far. Yeah, so it's like if you read just that one issue, you, your imagination is going to be on fire and you never actually get to see the fact that all the stuff that doesn't like quite live up to expectations. So that's that would be uh, mine. I have a quick spin-off question from that then. Oh, okay. Would you like to write a spin-off series from Momak issue 1? Yes. Like nobody's business. Oh my god, yes. Although, honestly, I, I'm willing to... Because I think I've told you my ideas for an OMAC spinoff. I have. I would be perfectly happy to pick it up from OMAC number 8. Um, but uh, in, in some ways... Because my, cause my, what I think of is my perfect killer OMAC idea really does involve taking the rest of the OMAC stuff and trying to figure out a way to, to underline where it fits and doesn't fit. But yeah, I mean, but that if I didn't have that, I would also yeah, going from OMAC. OMAC number one is pure fire, and trying to figure out like in a in a perfect world where it's like, yeah, I will have it, and then they are going to pay Ledron a million dollars to draw it. Yeah, let me at that son of a bitch. So, Ben Lippman asks, should Marvel bother with covers? Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> well, you you've got to answer one of these questions. Oh no, I'm speeding through. I'm not joking. No, but. <laughs> Sure, but one each. I mean, dude, you've oh, got to pick one of those three and answer uh, one. What team should tackle the Warriors 3 is the one I'm going to go for then. Great. Who should tackle the Warriors 3? God, I wish I'd thought about that before I... Uh, Kyle Baker should write it. Oh, great. Uh, and who should draw it? Chris Samney. Chris Samney should draw it. Wow. Wow, that's kind of an interesting mix. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, Chris Samney would be great at that. Oh, my God. Yeah, good call. Uh, ben Lippman. Should Marvel bother with covers? They print them in the same stock as the pages. The books are ordered months in advance and sell to an audience that actively seeks them out. Why not save the price of more pages and art and just have the title sit above the first page? <laughs> wow, that's kind of um, revolutionary and genius. I don't think they would ever, ever do that for, uh, if nothing else, than just the simplest reason that I can think of, which is, is that the covers are a huge piece of an artist's livelihood and the idea that you would no longer be able, the artist would no longer be able to sell their co cover pages, you know, at auction or whatever, um, I think would, would be such a huge blow to the industry. I think, I think the, the artist would be, would basically hold throw a huge shit fit. It also seems to me not an especially good idea because I love covers, but I could just be old and biased. Well, I, I think covers are sort of iconic. <laughs> I, I, I think that it's like the idea of the cover being the single image that quote-unquote defines the comic. Mm -hmm. But you also have the logo, and the logo takes up a significant portion of the cover space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you have the company logo on front. Right. I think that's... I think people expect that of a comic. And I think if a comic went without a cover, classically... Mm -hmm then I think that would be rejected by the audience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, if nothing else, there is a huge segment of the audience that automatically views that comic as worthless, has been trained to, you know what I mean? Like, if it's coverless, it's it's without value. So I don't know. Uh, a fascinating kind of mind warper of, a, of, an, of an idea. And, and honestly, if we had more time, I would go into some whole blah, blah, blah 
of why comic book covers are super important, it seems like. But but definitely the way in which... You know, I was talking with a friend about this, Graham. There's not... Um, comic books don't, like, reach out and sort of grab you from unexpected places, if you get my sort of molesty metaphor. You know, like... You're not at a... People really aren't at stores anymore and suddenly there's a spinner rack with comics and you see something out of the corner of your eye. Like, comics feel sort of like more of a destination. Yeah, you search out comics now. Yeah, and so therefore there is something to be said about the old process of the cover which was the thing that grabbed you while you were on the way to get your candy bar or the jello or the drugs or whatever it was and now it's now that it's a destination it does seem like maybe it should change around for some point but but is that really true when you have digital like do covers not become more important because your cover is now a tiny fucking image on, well you know yeah, right Amazon, whatever well but see but this is it like my thing is is that there's not i don't feel like and i might feel differently if i had a higher powered ipad but certainly comicsology's covers are dinky and you don't really browse them much anymore like the best you do is like you go to the new releases tab but there's never really a clean smooth way to sort of browse comics like you like Hibbs always says like comicsology is not like looking into the window of a comics book shop you know it's like you have to open the app and then once you have to open the app you have to sort of begin the process of at least knowing where you're going to start looking you know um, and I think it's sort of, I guess Amazon is different because Amazon will throw those little tiny pictures, but they're fucking postage stamps. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's I what I mean. So does that not make like the eye-catching image, which survives being tiny, more important? Well, I would say yes. And, and honestly, a lot of people, um, you know, as somebody who's done some reading up on this, a lot of uh, people who are publishing their books, just self-publishing them electronically, say absolutely 100%. But what that image is and how it reads is a huge matter of um, uh, controversy. Not least because a lot of people are like, well, make sure it looks as much like the other books that you're trying to, you know, that you're writing in the genre of you know, and somehow make it go down a postage stamp. So basically everything ends up being like one image and it's kind of the same image, just it varies. I don't know. In any event, um, yeah, Ben Lipman, a genius, but God, I don't think that's right. Um, he also asks, is Fatal becoming an ongoing series a good thing? Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I thought he. I thought they were. It's like an ongoing for now. Like I kind of got the sense. Yeah, I. I, I think. I think the idea that it's ongoing, but it's actually really ongoing, is is disingenuous. But then these days, I think the idea of an ongoing is kind of disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, what I do like is is that I like the idea that Brew Baker is like. I realized I had more ideas from this, and I want to play it out, and I appreciate that. I mean, I do. I sort of. I like a lot of the stuff in Fatal. I part of me is honestly like I think that he's like, mm, how do I put it? I, I I see your point, Ben. I definitely loved Criminal far more than I loved um, whatever the hell it was. Incognito. Yeah, Incognito. And so I was actually pretty bummed when they were alternating series with that. But I guess I like Fatal well enough that 
And I have confidence that it's not going to be the final thing that they do together, although Lord knows I could be proven wrong. Uh, and what is the best and what was the worst <laughs> comic you read for each decade that you have read comics? I love the fact that people ask three questions, and not just one, and then one of them is like the biggest, most yeah, yeah, brain-breaking like question. question. We'll have to skip over this. Yeah, but let's, we'll make, Ben, we promise we'll come back to it like next week and maybe we'll tackle it Because that's an essay question. I haven't even, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Zomboner asks, what happens to Ross's moustache when he turns into the Red Hulk? I think it retracts into his nose, right? Didn't they cover that? Did they actually cover that? Oh no, my I, God, don't. I really? don't know. I don't know. Oh, that, I'm just going to go with that because I love that idea. <laughs> um, has anyone ever done more for a comic than Eddie Campbell did for Hell for, for From Hell? Uh, Sorry, that's that's Matt here. <coughs> oh, did he? Uh, uh, is that who's asking that? Oh, yeah, he's got a couple of those. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, if you ask me, Steve Ditko for Amazing Spider-Man or Jack Kirby for a huge chunk of books, or if you're feeling especially cheeky, Stan Lee for uh, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, or Fantastic Four. Yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I I love from hell and i love eddie campbell's work and it's as everyone knows it's like the one alan moore comic i love in large part because of eddie campbell yeah um but i don't think that eddie campbell is like going above and beyond what anyone else has ever done for a comic yeah i do think that i do think that from hell is a rare work in that i think we're used to seeing dudes who like seeing guys who start off by collaborating and split off to do their own work is very common. It seems very rare that you get two talents, you know, who are mature and sort of in their own right coming and doing a book. You know, in other words, the fact that Eddie Campbell came and did uh, From Hell with Alan Moore. First place, yeah. Yeah, that it's such an amazing collaboration by two guys who are, are so exceptional, and Eddie Campbell is, is very rare in comics. You know, you see guys who are, like, amazing, and then they split and they go do their own stuff. It's very rare, I think, to, for people to, re, to, to unite that late in their careers and do that, and it's great. Okay, second question. Great one. We're going to have to end with Matt here because they're all fairly big and but I want to get through them. Okay. Um, could you could we expect a modern reader to get anything out of the two big comics masterpieces of our youths? Oh, sorry, big two comics masterpieces of our youths. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of incontinuity stuff here, something like Simonson's Thor, a book that pretty much ruled my world growing up. Yet something I will ever, yet something I will ever be able to properly explain to my son, even if he had the issues in front of him. I think he means won't ever be able to explain to his son. Right. Uh, I don't have the same doubts about Ruby Does Amazing or Arthur Early Runs. There's just something about those 80s books that seems stuck in time. Hmm. So 1980s comics in particular, he seems to be asking about. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, there's this weird... I, I yeah. think you can. I, I'd give it another 10 years, and then you'll have the reappreciation that people have of 70s comics now, I think. Mm -hmm. I think we're still too close. Yeah, maybe. I, I I don't know. You know, I think there's a lot of like again. I've got a friend who totally bemoans the fact that, as far as he can tell, you know, you know, no 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 one in his son's generation is reading comics. And when I press him, he really means superhero comics. You know, like those kids could be reading manga. Uh, yeah. You know? And so I kind of have this thing of like I don't. Like the you never I don't feel like you ever necessarily know what's going to be evergreen, you know. And again, it gets back a little bit to our thing of like you know I'm 
thrilled that Seiyu and Suzuki, uh, Suzuki got rediscovered um, and, and not just left to languish as a, a you know, an, a semi-popular, semi-obscure Japanese director of the, the late 60s, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what it might be Rom Space Knight. It may not be Simons and Thor. Like, the generation has different needs. I, I'm still amazed that people actually, that there's generations after us that are inspired by stuff like Devil Dinosaur. You know? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, also, I don't know, it seems like such a weird leading question, because if someone's like, the big two comics masterpieces of our youth, meaning the 80s. Sure, Batman Year One. Well, I think I think I do think Mateo's point is tailored toward incontinuity stuff. Like Batman Year One. That was in continuity. Well, but Batman Year One's the middle of continuity. I think I do think that he's sort of talking, like he's talking about, um, you know, like the Kree Scroll War or like Inglehart's work or, you know, stuff that's stuff that's mired in the middle of like, (coughs) you know, issue 120, like or or Frank Miller's Daredevil stuff. Um, Well, but again, I think Frank Miller's Daredevil stuff is is that beast. Yeah, I think so too. Do you know what I mean? And I think that uh, Burns' Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and to an extent, his Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there is that stuff out there already. But you're right. I think what's going to happen is, you know, give it the next generation. The next generation is going to be saying stuff like, you know, holy shit, Sal Buscema's stuff on Rom Space Night was great. Yeah, exactly. We, we'll, be, we'll be like, really? Yeah. Right. Are you sure? That's what it was? You're you're really down with this the this this highway? Um, this yeah. Big, no. I, yeah. I I'm totally expecting the completely non-ironic appreciation of Secret Wars any minute. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and that's that is the nature. And how do I put this? Again, weirdly, I'm okay with that in 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 a way that I wasn't with Sylvester Stallone and Walter Hill. <laughs> Go figure. So, um, I think because, I think because people, when people are stepping up with Secret Wars, they're not going to be saying like, this was like the hugest best book. This is the, the comic 80s. that made everything. Yeah. This was the, this is the comic of the 80s. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to say that. Yeah. But I think the... you'll get people who will appreciate it for what it was. Yeah, what it was or You know what, what they, I think what that actually starts, now. and it's not a, a big two continuity, but it's a big two book? Mm-hmm. Transformers. I think you're going to get. I think it's probably going to start with that. That mm-hmm. people will be completely non-ironically appreciating Transformers on its own merits. Well, or Larry Hammond's GI Joe, man. I think there's some oh, of God, us yeah, that true. are already yeah. at that stage, you know, where I'm just like, that is so much more of an amazing book and an amazing accomplishment than um, than I thought that, it was at the time. Than we knew at the time, yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, he also asks, if you gave 100 people on the subway issues of Bill Sinkevich's New Mutants. With the lovely painted covers removed, how many would tell you it was the worst looking comic they have ever seen? Oh, probably. That's, I, yeah, I, I'm not even answering that. Yeah, that's... that's totally like, when did you stop beating your wife? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but there is kind of that thing of like, yeah, that's not uh, the thing about it that I think is really funny is like, uh, sure, but that's kind of weirdly beside the point. So, which maybe but someone else. I don't think that many would. I think it's actually a really well illustrated comic. And I think that more people would agree with me today than would agree with the people who think that it was the worst comic ever drawn. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn because again, it's that it is that mystical. Like, who do you put on that hundred people on the subway? I think a lot of them could would be like, yeah, that's great, or they could be like, this is like indecipherable and incoherent. But I, yeah, I don't know, man. I just 
I mean, there's also levels of, how do I put it? I've always held two completely contradictory concepts in mind. One is, is that work that is sufficiently great will have appeal to just about everybody. And the flip side of that, which is when you get to the apex of an art form, you frequently can only have it be appreciated by people who are pretty immersed in that art form. You know what I mean? So it doesn't it doesn't really invalidate it. Those two ideas don't necessarily jibe together perfectly 100%, but it, to me it's kind of like, yeah, on the one hand, you get a dude like Shakespeare who people, the majority of people are like, he's entertaining and fantastic, you know? And then you get some dude who is like, um, you know, Samuel Beckett, you know, who a certain type thinks is fantastic. A lot of people are like, oh my God, he's the most boring crap meister on the planet, you know? And I just feel like any art form is going to have realms for like both of those characters. And so it's not just one or the other, you know what I mean? So part of me is that you're right. I think that maybe people will be, Bill Sankovich will be like, yeah, no, this is really awesome and strange and it's attractive to look at. And we've had lots of time to catch up with that. But I can also see people being like, this doesn't look like Naruto, you know, um, I, I feel that you've just made the greatest argument for why Rob Liefeld is the greatest comic artist ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> question D, and this, I think we should all know it from start, isn't a question as much as a rant, but I really want to read it anyway. Ooh, okay. Are you ready, Jeff? Yes. What would happen if Robert Kirkman decided <coughs> to spend his next month's income and buy the publishing arm of Marvel? Not the IP, just the right to publish Marvel Comics the way he wanted. Which characters would die each month, and by which blunt instrument? How sad would the Punisher be while he used his slowly diminishing appendages to get the rest of the Marvel Universe killed, one 100-issue spectacular at a time? <laughs> Who would he think was calling him while he cried into a disconnected telephone, and would he still have the beard? Would Aunt May still be the big bad? <laughs> you know, weirdly enough, I was like um, sweeping up the floors this morning, Graham, and I was actually thinking about The Walking Dead and how... How do I put it? Like, I could be wrong because I'm not really paying attention to Kirkman's other books, but, you know, The Walking Dead being a zombie comic, uh, one of the things that is always appealing about the zombie movies from which he's working from is the fact that people die and a lot of people die. Uh, and in fact, the difference it's is kind of part of the genre. It it really is. Like when you go to the, when you go back to if you accept that Night of the Living Dead is the launching of the genre, it literally ends with the person that you think is going to get saved uh, gets killed. You know, and doesn't even get killed by zombies. He gets killed by someone else. But the but there is the it it is it's it's baked into the genre. So. On the one hand, there's part of me that's like, I don't necessarily know if Kirkman's really that guilty of that as much as he wanted to tell this story in this genre. And he, I think, figured out a way to do, like, if you did it long form, basically the idea is that, that people would be willing to not just watch a two-hour zombie movie. Um, they would be even that much more happier to watch 24 hours of the same zombie movie. And I think, you know, the world has not proved him wrong. You know, I don't. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think he's getting a, a bummer up sadly. <laughs> At least in this impressively written question. Now, admittedly, if you're just trolling for the lulls, 
Uh, I got to tell you, some of oh, that stuff great. is it is pretty funny. It's, if you're trolling for the lols, that was great. I, in in all, so many ways, that's great. If you want me to answer that question, I will. What would happen if Robert Kirkman decided to spend his next month's income and buy the publisher from Marvel? He can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is true. That is, I, you know, and God bless him. I think you know that guy got it out of the out of his system, and he went and did some stuff. Uh, he went and did what he wanted to do. I kind of don't. He, he did the dream. Mm-hmm. He really did. He really did. I mean, I think, let's put it this way. I, like, there was a quote, like, Mark Bernadan had a, a, a little uh, brief mention on his Tumblr, I think, where he was talking about, basically where people were talking about the lack of African-American writers, current creators in, in the big two comics currently. Um, and one of the things that Mark Bernadine said that I really resonated with me, even in my super small, meager experience as a freelance writer of work for hire stuff, is the, at one point he said, like, you know, I don't want to be thought of as a num as just a number, you know, unless it's the number that you want, you know? And that, unfortunately, is the case that's so hard about work for hire is like you start off like being like, oh, I just I want to tell my Batman story. And eventually it gets to the level of I just want to tell any Batman story. And then it's finally like, I just want to tell a fucking story and get a paycheck because I'm about to die here. And then when you get in and you do it and people are like, yeah, this is great, but I don't like this part and change that. And you're like, okay, well, I got to do that. Like, the compromises that you yourself have to put yourself in, like, I can see where Kirkman maybe walked out after 27 issues of Marvel Team Up and went, that was, and three and three sets of Marvel Zombie series and was like, this is not what I want to do, you know, because I can't really do the stuff that I want for whatever reason. Or maybe he was just like, okay, I did it. That's it didn't really do it for me. Yeah, know? there's absolutely nothing wrong with being like, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I tried that, it didn't work out, I'm moving on. Yeah, I, I I, kind of think that, you know, again, I, I'm really give Kirkman a lot of credit for like, okay, well, I did this and, and he actually made a manifesto of what he was going to do and then he did it and then he got more successful than any of us would have ever thought and, um, and we're all still trying to pretend like I don't know. <laughs> We're not jealous. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you know, I like that's not kind of amazing. Of like, mm-hmm. like, people will make fun of Robert Kirkman, and I can't help but feel that so many of that, it, so much of that comes from a place of like, holy fuck, he actually did it. Yeah, he did it. I mean, he did do it. That's the weird thing. Like, if you go back in time and you rewind the clock like 10, 15 years, and you look at Matt Fraction doing you know, Rex Mantooth Kung Fu Gorilla, and you look at Robert Kirkman doing, like, Battle Pope, and you have to place your money on which one is going to take all the chips at the table, I don't think most of us would have picked the right horse. I just don't. Oh, no, not at all. And also, it's also weird to, like, look at Matt Fraction, you know, doing Rex Mantooth or Last of the Independents or or Savant. Do you remember Savant? His his comic thing? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm being like, okay, ten years from now, this guy is going to be writing Thor and Iron Man, and that's after he's written the X-Men, and then he's going to jump into the Fantastic Four books. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know. Uh, it is. It's kind of... So, you know. <sighs> well, what we're seeing is, people, if in ten years' time, 
Jeff is the editor of chief of, Mar- of DC Comics. <laughs> uh, don't be surprised. I don't think that's exactly going to be the way that it actually parses out. I think it's more like if in ten years uh, Graham and Jeff uh, have like died of scurvy, like I don't be surprised. <laughs> I think. Oh, come on. Five years, I'm going to die of scurvy. Come oh, on. no, 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 no. I, I personally think that Kate, if nothing else, will have lemon trees in place by that time. And <laughs> scurvy is going to be a surprise That's for true. Scur- scurvy has averted. <laughs> scurvy averted. All right, so we ran a little long, and we should probably jump. Uh, don't you we think? We really should, yeah. Um, people, we're, I swear to God, we might just end up doing like three questions a week from now on. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We, got we might have these questions. We might not. You know what would be funny? And I'm not saying that you people should do this, but it would make me laugh if you did. If you guys started adding questions to the end of this thread. <laughs> to the thread, which was close. Well, you know, my friend Ren, who uh, is awesome, uh, asked a question in uh, our current uh, Savage Critic thread. and I, And I was like, I've got to, you know, he's my friend. I have to bump that question up to like must answer status. So maybe it's, we'll is it a is week. it a uh, quick answer question? Can we answer it now? No, it's it's more of an essayistic question about Spider. Oh, then, I then, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Jeff's friend. Yeah, I've I've not even read the comments this week. I'm completely behind. Oh, you should. Well, I don't. I don't know. Hopefully, they'll pick up. They, at first, I was like, "This is great," and then there was kind of a ooh, like. Like, honestly, we have to stop trolling our listener base by talking about Hickman and Morrison. Because once we do, you just know what's going to happen. And it pretty much happened. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> You're like, yeah, exactly. Well done, us. Um, so, Graham, we're probably not going to be back next week since that's Valentine's Day. Um, is it? Oh, God, so it is. Yeah, we got to take it in a skip week. So. Well, love is in the air, people. Yeah, we will, I guess, be taking another skip week. Unless we can convince Graham to just call and sing his greatest uh, romantic karaoke against us. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. I know, it's not. And it's a shame. Um, Forever. So yeah, I guess we will be taking this week off. Uh, in which case, we'll be back in two weeks. We're back in two weeks. We will be answering your questions. We will have read comics. And we will somehow manage to... I don't know. I sort of feel like this funky dance suits us. But I have not looked at... Um, our logs, nor reason, nor can I understand them. So I don't know if our listenership is plunging, you know, um, rocketing, or, or, or staying flatlined. I have no idea. So, but I hope I hope it's either rocketing or, or flatlined. To be honest, I hope we're not plunging. If we are plunging, I'm really sorry for people who are jumping. Yeah, people who are leaving who've had enough of our shit. I apologize. <laughs> I I thought we were being clever. <laughs> Graham, do you want to sing us out? Bye!